Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Glory Days of Gold. Um, I'm Lee Gillis. And I'm Michael McCall. And we've got an exciting show for you today. Um, we're delighted to bring to you Darren Young, who's going to be talking to us a bit about his past career, how he feels things have gone on at East Fife. Delighted to tell you that this episode has been brought to you by the Leave Mouth Food Bank. Now, they've not donated the money to us um, themselves because that would be silly but the money came from a donor who would like to remain anonymous and would like to give Leave Mouth Food Bank the the opportunity of the promotion so I'm just going to talk a little bit about that Um, so thank you very much to that anonymous donor I think that's a very very noble and generous thing that you've done the food bank got in touch and they're looking for donations obviously through the the COVID-19 situation and if you can help them out then please do so they're currently really short of uh, pasta, rice pasta sauce and curry sauce so if you're in a position that you could donate if you could help uh, head on down there and drop some stuff off at a socially distanced um, way if you could do so um, and thank as, thanks as always to our, our main sponsors KGK Installations in Glen Office and FBWA for Pro Wrestling Asylum yeah, fantastic cause that really nice to, to donate that money and a very very good cause as well I mean it's just so sad in, in this day and age that food banks are, are still needed so much you, you kind of hope that things would be changing a little bit but I think Covid just made them even more important than ever so I, I mean it's I know it's tough for everyone just now but if you've got any spare spare money or a chance to donate to the the local food banks in, in your area even if you're out with Fife as well highly recommend it very very good cause. Thank you in advance for doing so. Yeah I mean obviously not much news in terms of East Fife specific Mike no, there's been the the supporter survey came out, but we we're recording this all on Thursday night, so it came out on Wednesday, and kind of want a little bit more time to delve into it. It's a very very thorough survey. Had a quick scan over it last night, and some great stuff in there. So we'll, we'll chat about that on next week's show. Yeah, obviously we've now found out about who um, was going to be in our league. And as to what came as an absolute shock to no one, um, everything's going to stay the same. So um, that's a plight FU to Rovers who go up. Obviously, Parthic coming down. We're still going to have Falkirk in our league. Hearts are relegated. And by the way, deservedly so. Um, Stranraer down. But yet, we're looking at it and Breakin are safe. Now, I know that the argument for Breakin is that theirs is a playoff. It's not an automatic relegation. However, I still kind of feel that if you are Kelly or Brora, that you feel a little bit aggrieved by that. Oh, more than just a little bit aggrieved. I mean, these are two teams that's heavily invested as well, and you have to kind of wonder whether they can keep doing that. I don't see how you can just not bring them in and keep breaking in the league when other teams are getting relegated. As you said, yeah, 
it's not an automatic relegation and there's no guarantee that Brecon really gone down. But if, if the leagues aren't going to start until October for the lower leagues, but you've got the Premier coming back in August, then we know football can be played from August. So there'd be no reason at all for Brecon, Kelty and Brora not to be able to, to maybe play even a, a round-robin tournament, something like that. The, the argument against that, of course, would be... Br- Brecon then don't know they can't sell season tickets because they don't know what league they're going to be in etc etc but to me that would have been the only fair way to do it or you bring the two teams up and I do think both the teams should have been brought up yeah I think that the option that made the most sense obviously when we spoke to Gary Naismith you know no relegation and the two teams come up that to me was just like right if you were at the top up you go and just a straight backfill from the lower leagues Bob's your uncle, but shock horror in Scottish football with balls everything up and do it completely backwards. And, you know, even what's coming out just now, I'm a little bit more apprehensive that this this is going to continue to roll on because, you know, all the rumblings in the paper and budgets threatening legal action. You've then got, you know, the teams that are saying, well, if I don't go up, then I'm going to take legal action. And how does this roll on? And if you yeah. look at the French League, the French League um, it got taken to court and they turned around and said, no, you can't really get anyone. So are the Scottish, Scottish or British courts going to turn around and say, well, actually, we're going to take the advice based on the fact of what's happened in France and, and make that decision for us? Where does that leave the league? You know, we're trying to invest in squads just now. I'm still not 100% sure that we know what league we're going to be in. So I've, I'm just sick. That I'm honestly sick of yeah. talking about it. I, I, I do think that the, the French president will be used by hearts. They'll be used by Park Thistle. And we've spoken on the show before. I, I feel sorry for Park Thistle because they had a game in hand and it was because they were in a, a National Cup competition. So you've got that aspect to it. I mean, hearts and Park Thistle taking the league to court, looking for £10 million between them. Hearts are looking for £8 million. Thistle are looking for £2 million. If Thistle got that £2 million, you may as well just give them the league title for, for next season because everyone else is playing for second place, even Falkirk. It's like all these other teams are then playing for second place because any team in our league with a budget of £2 million should be walking it. Hearts to get £8 million as well, again, just hand them the championship title because there's no way that a team with that budget is not then going to go up. So, I mean, that aspect of it is is ridiculous. I know they're going to lose a lot of money, but then, yeah, if if they say to Dundee United, you're not going up, then Dundee United will will then take court action, and, and rightly so as well. This this could drag on, and this start of, of August 1st for the, the Scottish Premier, I don't think could happen. I mean, it, there's a really good, strong possibility that this is just going to go on so much that it's going to drag on and we might see all the leagues eventually starting in October. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we spoke a bit about, you know, when it was about the league reconstruction and the the self-interest in it. And, you know, I was, as a fan, saying I don't want there to be any self-interest. Let's vote in the the thought process of, um, you know, Scottish football and how we improve our game. But if you're, for example, if we take our own club at East Fife, if you're East Fife, you're going, right, okay, if these leagues get expanded and we don't get Patrick Thistle coming down, we don't get, uh, and Falkirk and Wraith go up, you know, all we're getting is Cove fans keeping Stranraer, 
Airdrie, you know, Airdrie will probably bring the biggest crowd to us yeah. at maybe 175. So if you're East Fife, that's a financial disaster for us. Now, we were quite noble in the initial voting that we tried to, to save the teams. And then we kind of got the sort of feeling that, well, nobody's going to do that for us, so why should we do that for them? And we've got to take our own self-interest. So it's kind of difficult because obviously clubs now aren't run as clubs, they run as businesses and, you know, they've got to be sustainable and I totally get that. However, you know, depending on when the league starts and if it's three quarters or, or if it's going to be four, you know, you've got Cove, all, all the way up to Cove twice a season, you've then got, you know, a, a lot of monotonous journeys, you know. Yeah, but you've also got the issue, if, you've got a 27-game season, which is what they seem to be looking at. The the lower leagues starting in October, 27-game season, you're playing if everyone three times. Now, the problem with that is some clubs are going to have to go to Cove twice. Some clubs are going to have to go to Partick Thistle twice, to Falkirk twice. What happens if East Fife are a club that have to go to all three of those teams twice, just the way that the draws worked out? Or are they going to somehow be able to manipulate the draw? But then that's not fair because you don't really know, apart from Thistle, that anyone, you don't know how strong these other teams are going to be. So, I mean, a 27-game season is equally as messy as, as trying to maybe cram in a 36-game season in a shorter period of time. But you also then have to look at the situation with the virus if there's a second wave. We could even be looking at, at things not starting until even January. Then... In some ways, I know clubs are hit financially that way. I would not be too opposed to them waiting to January and then just playing clubs home and away and just having a, a an eighteen game season. I don't think I could wait that long for football to come back. <laughs> that's that you know, and that's looking at it selfishly. But you know, whether you're away to Peterhead in, in the middle of December and it's blown a hilly, you know, you still you would still miss the football on a Saturday, but then oh, you've yeah. got to think about it financially as, as a club, you know, and obviously as a nation, how long can we keep the furlough scheme going? You know, we've pledged to play players, you know, even on a two-year contract. Where does that money come in from? You know, I don't think that there's any club in Scotland that could realistically afford not to play till next year. I, I think if if nothing happened until January, clubs will go to the wall. I mean, that's, that's without question. But you've got clubs like Peterhead who are coming out and saying... Well, we can't afford to play with no fans, so we'd rather just not play at all. So, I mean, what do you do with those clubs? Because I'd, I'd read a very heated debate on Pine Bovro about it, and folk are saying, well, just relegate those clubs to the, the bottom tier. But then you're you're punishing a club. Like, if, if they realistically can't afford to play, and a club like Peterhead makes sense because you've got so much travel involved, and if you've not got the money coming in the gate, can you punish a club for something that isn't their fault. But then the counter-argument to that is, well, you're punishing Hearts and Partick Thistle for something that wasn't their fault in a regard. They've got themselves in bottom place, so partly their fault. It's an absolute mess, and I genuinely don't know how this can get resolved without going through the courts. It's all going to be messy. Um, I'm, I'm nervous about how it could come around. You know, clubs going to the wall, you know... You don't want to see it unless it's Kelly. Um, you know, you don't want to see these guys, you know, if, if it's a furlough scheme and they're only getting 8% of their wages, you don't want to see that. So I think that there's, 
you know, I, I get if you're a Hearts fan, you're a bit like, you know, I want my club to be doing whatever they can because this has been robbed by us. You know, this, this situation isn't their fault either. So it's kind of a stramash of everybody's feelings and, and business interests all into one. And I don't think that really, apart from, you know, what we'd said before about just a straight backfill, I don't think anybody was going to be happy. Um, you know, for us, you know, it was a catch-22. You know, if we don't have... Falkirk, Rafe and um, Partick, you know, we're looking at a league thinking we could win that. Yeah. Equally, we have no money. So it's, it swings and roundabouts. I don't think you're going to make everyone happy. I mean, it's one of these situations that you just could not have planned for. And like nobody knew anything like this could happen, was going to happen. And it, I mean, it's testing a lot of people's like business skills just now. I think we are fortunate at Bayview in that the club has been so well managed in the last couple of years. And as fans over the years, we've been guilty of criticising the club for, oh, you need to spend more money and put more investment in. But the, the kind of frugality is really kind of paying dividends now. It's not to say that we are completely home and dry and out, out of the blue either, but I think we are in a, in a good position. I just, I, I'm hoping everything's back in October. A lot is going to depend just in general as to whether the second waves or whatever. And I mean, it's something that we'll, we'll, we'll chat to Darren about uh, when, when we speak to him next and just see where the, the land is lying in terms of all that. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a case of we just need to wait now. There's, there's nothing really we could do. We've got to just sit back and watch. But I must admit, you know, I'm a little bit sick of watching English football and thinking, if we just waited how much better could it have been? But, you know, it is what it is. So we'll move on, Mike. Really excited to bring to you our next guest. And I want to thank Darren um, for stepping in for us at last minute. Um, unfortunately, we were meant to um, interview Bobby Lynn today, but he's had to reschedule along with Tam McManus um, last week. And we're still hoping to bring those interviews to you soon. But we're going to talk to this guy. Over 380 career appearances. He's scored 18 goals, seven Scotland under-21 caps, and careers with Aberdeen... Dunfermline, um, Alawa, but more importantly, a manager's career at East Fife. So this week, we'll bring to you Mr. Dan Young. So delighted to say now that we are joined by East Fife manager Darren Young. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us on the, the show today, Darren. No problem. Thanks for having us. And I guess first thing we, we're kind of asking everyone this just to start off is, personally and professionally, how how has this lockdown been for you? Because the, the papers and the media, it's full of all the talk about how the Premier teams are doing and how they're handling this and all the full-time guys, but... What's it been like as a manager of a, a part-time club having to try and deal with everything that's happening just now? Yeah, it's pretty hard. Uh, the club have been great though, all through it. They've been, they've been brilliant. They've been there backing us 100% of the players and stuff and with a furlough situation as well. So that's been good. But I think just with a, obviously with the full-time teams, they've got their own sort of football to worry about. With the part-time, you've got your other job to worry about as well. So you've got a lot of players who may be getting furloughed, may not be getting furloughed and Again, myself and Tony, we've been kind of keeping in touch with them, just kind of seeing how they are, keeping them ticking over and stuff. Um, 
but it's it's not just the football. It's obviously the private lives and the lives of their families and their, their work as well. So it's a bit of everything. They they keep it in touch with the guys. Like out here, I've been on a, a few conference calls with with some of the coaches around MLS, and they've been talking. A lot of them they've done like Zoom training sessions. They're kind of like regularly checking in just to make sure that the guys' mental health and everything is okay. I mean, what's these five been doing kind of around that? How how much contact have you had with the guys? Just now and then, but uh, I mean, the players they've got their own WhatsApp group, so all the players they've, they've kind of had that for a while now. So they've been keeping contact with each other. Uh, because of the follow thing, we are unable, I'm not allowed to tell them what to do, can I do at the very start. We had obviously, we didn't think it was going to be this long and we'd maybe give them a wee indication. Like a kind of pre-season plan that the boys would get um, when they leave in kind of the last game of the season or the last day of the season, we'll kind of email them over. But now obviously we're kind of four or five months down the line and it's that way. They kind of keep on training for pre-season when um, they're going to end up burning themselves out. But it's, it's not bad for them to kind of keep themselves ticking over. But at the same time, uh, I think... Well, kind of hoping they're going to be edging towards this October date. Uh, if it is an October date, then we would be back in a month before that, just like a kind of normal pre-season. So uh, if it's been back then, then the guys can kind of get their, their sheets, should we say, and then obviously start to build up that kind of four-week, gradually getting better and better, fitter and fitter, stronger, quicker, and then so that when they do come back, they're kind of ready to go. Aye, I mean, the, the uncertainty is certainly something we'll, we'll talk about tonight, and we'll, we'll look through your, your career as a, as a player and as a coach, and like what the future holds in store, but I, I kind of want to start just looking at the, the season that has just finished. The club officially has now finished fifth. Had such a good start, were unbeaten for so long, held our, our own against like full-time teams and big-budget teams. If the league had continued, do you think we could have got that team into a playoff position? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I mean, I think we were we were stronger than... we've been kind of For me, we've improved and get stronger every year. Um, and that was us just kind of getting... Well, that was, I think that was the first time we'd actually dropped out of the playoff position um, for the whole season. Uh, since the season started, obviously, we'd went 11 games and unbeaten. Uh, great start. And at one point, we were top as well. And we've been kind of in and about. And just that, <laughs> that last game, I think, um, when Shows had a game in hand against Ra, they beat them in the midweek. And then, obviously, two or three days later, um, that was it. So that was the first time we'd been out of the, the, the playoffs for about two days or something. Then, obviously, the whole week get cancelled. But, no, we were more than confident. We had everyone kind of back fit as well. So, uh, this time, sort of, last season, we probably were a different situation. We had a lot of injuries. And, and to be honest, we were kind of forced to play four or five midweek games one after the other, which obviously never helped. Um, and on top of that, we kind of probably we probably ran out of steam. Uh, it was disappointing because we would be done so well again. But again, we looked to improve on that and, and progress on that. And I think we had this season. I think we get a better squad of players. And again, from off the back of that, you're able to go and sort of challenge. And yeah, you're challenging with Falkirk. You're challenging with Rafe uh, all season, Airdrie. So it was good to kind of be up there. Um, and again, I think we more than held our own. Uh, I mean, the, the run out of steam thing, that was something I was going to to talk to you about. Now, I, I've been watching from afar, so it, it's sometimes a little bit difficult to, to find out what's behind it. I know last season you touched on the injuries, you had the fixture congestion after like a great cup run, and then you've got the farce that took place in Ireland and then everything around that. And then this season kind of dropping down as well. Is it a case... Because it is a part-time squad, it's tough to keep that level going so high like for a full season or is it maybe squad depth you maybe need to just be a little bit deeper in, in certain certain positions yeah I think so I think we probably had this 
same number of players this season, but the difference is, is sort of more experienced guys, guys that have been there. I mean, the difference, you've got Ryan Wallace and Danny Denham just won a league title with Arbroath and they've, they've came and joined us. That says a kind of lot about us and the fact that they're kind of leaving a, a winning team, a title winning team. Chris Higgins dropped down for part-time. He came here uh, on loan last year, did very well for me. We knew we were kind of losing Daryl Meggett, so he was an ideal replacement for him. Uh, very experienced, they're a great leader. Um, and then they've got Excuse me, you've got Murdoch as well. Sure, Murdoch coming in, and he's been here before. The, the fans and the, the board, everybody kind of knew what he could do. Comes in again, another experienced guy moving from full time to part time. He came on loan last year, and again, he got injured kind of right at the very start. Never probably got to see the best of him. And then again, luckily, he enjoyed it when he was here and he, he wanted to come back. So, it's kind of having these guys, um, nothing against the guys that were here before, but these guys have been maybe Premier League and they've been up the divisions and they've, they've kind of been there and done it at a higher level. So, for us, we, we felt we had the squad and the depth to, to go and kick on, whereas last year, we probably never had as good a squad, but at the same time, we were kind of down to maybe 13, 14 kind of fit players. Also, the, with the goalie situation as well, Jordan Hart coming in, um, again, challenging Brett. So you've kind of, in theory, you've got two number one goalkeepers who basically could play week in, week out for most teams in the league. So for us, it's, it's great to have that, that competition and, and challenge there. Um, just going to talk a wee bit about your management career, Darren. So, obviously, you had great success at Albion Rovers. You were touted for some bigger jobs. Um, and then you got the biggest job of them all by coming to the Fife. So, how did that sort of come around? Did you apply for the job? Were you approached for it? How, how did the move come to fruition? Um, well, obviously, the time at Albion Rovers was coming to an end. Well, it came to an end. And then the, the East Fife job, Barry, had um, I think the Rafe job, I think. Uh, yeah. Barry, the Rafe job. Uh, off the back of that, um, obviously the East Fife thing was, was kind of there. So I, I knew Stevie Kirk, obviously, via Albion Rovers, and I'd spoken to yeah. him, and he kind of spoken to the board, and they said, look, just uh, we're obviously taking CVs and stuff now. So I put my CV in, and then within, like, within a few days, kind of, they spoke to a few people or whatever, they spoke to myself, and then uh, we kind of agreed everything, just kind of there and then. Um, really, really happy with what I heard. They were kind of happy with kind of what I'd done, and, and what they were hearing, so we kind of agreed everything there and then, and from then I really enjoyed it, it's been amazing. And what was your sort of first impressions of the club, because I think that, you know, and, and whilst I've got you, don't ever join Rafe Rovers, because you go straight in the, the, the management recycle bin, and our fans mind if you do that, Barry Smith had a good season last, and I didn't even like to say his name out loud anymore, so I don't mind where you go, just didn't go there, but what was your sort of impressions when you came into the club, how did you find it, because I think that you know, I don't know if you listened to the Gary Naismith episode. You know, I, th- I think that Gary really brought the club back to that sort of community, family sort of feel. But as, so, as a manager coming into East Fife, what was your sort of first impressions? I, I already kind of knew what it was like. For me, it's, it's trying to, it's to get East Fife. That's what me and Tony's idea is to try and get East Fife to the, the same kind of level of your know, I was at for quite a, quite a while, um, and it's, it's very same situation as that. Got their own, got their own Astro, got a nice wee stadium. A lot of volunteers helping out in the background. I spoke to a few players who had played here, so I kind of knew if we playing against them and speaking to people what it was like. And, and when I came, it was it was brilliant, kind of blown away. Everybody kind of doing any more for you, whether it's the kit men, Morty and Davy and everybody, and whether it's the chairman or guys on the board, uh, even things like the with the the TV with the like East Five TV, all this kind yeah. of stuff. And we never had any of that all going overs and. My kind of scouting or highlights was basically watching the clips. It was on, it was on Twitter or whatever Facebook the week before to kind of 
get guys or you had kind of scouts, but again, we never really had that. I'll be over, but we still obviously did very well. Uh, but here, you've kind of, we kind of had everything, um, and it's, it's, it's been great. If you kind of start to finish, any problems whatsoever. And then, uh, another example is just the way everything's been now with the lockdown and uh, the coronavirus thing. It's the club have been there, very reassuring, and anything you kind of need or want, they've, they've kind of been there and helped us uh, any way they can. That's good to hear because I think that fans, we don't often get to see a lot of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. You only get to see what's on social media or whispers or whatever that's coming from from inside the club. So it's good to know. And I mean, it's, it's great to hear that obviously a previous manager, current manager speaking highly about the club. So that's brilliant. Um, you're now obviously in your third season or going into your third season last, which I think that at lower league level certainly is quite rare for a manager. So what's your sort of ambition for going forward for next season? Is it obviously when you're looking at the the team that are in teams that are in our league, like you've mentioned with Partick and Falkirk, Airdrie, you know, clubs that are, are definitely splashing the cash about. Do you, do you still feel that we could challenge again next season? Yeah, we'd be looking to kind of challenge as high as we can. Obviously, you've got Cove as well coming in and spending a bit of money. So, I mean, it's you're kind of getting it for everywhere. <laughs> you've got Cove coming in, you've got Party coming down. I think, naturally, you're looking at the two full-time teams, Party can fork up to kind of be up there. And then you're kind of maybe everybody else is kind of fighting for those sort of third and fourth place. Again, if you can go on a wee run, teams, as you've seen during the season, some teams will start off slowly, come good, some will start off well, maybe taper off, but it's, it's just about being consistent. We have, we've always kind of aimed to get into the playoffs, uh, I think it's 50, 52 points, so it's kind of around about the 13, 14 point mark over the kind of last five, six years to get yourself into kind of fourth spot. Um, and this year we were on course for that. Um, the last two seasons, We'd actually done it for the first couple of the first couple of quarters because we kind of we kind of looked to break it down into quarters instead of just saying oh we need to get this by the end of the season and we're playing everybody kind of full time so at the end of every quarter kind of assess where you are and some quarters you may get sixteen seventeen next quarter you may get ten or eleven so it kind of balances itself out if we can kind of aim for that and again East Fife have never ever made it in the playoffs so to get to the playoffs is just to go and achieve something that no one else has done so we were very close uh, last year and I think we were even closer this year so it's still trying to aim um, again trying to win every game although you've got the kind of full time teams there we'll still go and give it a still go at them and give them a go um, and again see what it takes us so if I think about your time at East Fife, I mean, we've had some brilliant cup runs. Um, we had, obviously, the, the semi-final um, at Ross County. We've, we've beaten some Premier League uh, teams. We've beaten some First Division teams. So what's been the best thing about your tenure at East Fife um, over, um, over your, your time so far? Um, and from a personal view, um, it's been seeing the success over Rafe Rovers. Um, I've been on this planet for 31 years and that was the first time I've seen us beat them, which was absolutely amazing. So what would you say has been the, the highlight in your sort of proudest moment so far? I think there's a lot to be fair. It's it's just there's just every every season we seem to go and do something else and we go to seem to either break a record or something that's been standing for a long time. I think the, the, the kind of first season we'd won something like six or seven games in a row at one point and that was the first time we'd done it in so many years. The, the kind of last season, obviously you get the semi-final of the cup. Getting there was, was amazing. The, the calamity for the quarter-finals, although it was a good day yeah. and night out for the, the fans to Dublin. It was it turned out to be a good night out for the players as well. But um, we had that. We get to kind of the last 16 of the Scottish Cup. Um, this season as well, it's been, it's been great. We, we, after getting beat off Cowden Beef on the <laughs> local teams, um, we then go and beat Stranraer, beat Dungeon United, beat Hearts, and then qualify for the group section for the first time in the League Cup, then get Rangers, which again was 
was another kind of highlight to, to kind of beat Hearts and get win the penalties, get the bonus point, and then obviously play Rangers. So we feel we've kind of done well, and we've always managed to get that wee bit. At the same time, every season we've only we finished a position below. We've actually improved our points total the last two seasons. So again, this season we were I think we were a point off where we were with eight games to go. So again, again for us, it's another mark, and it kind of shows you how hard the league's getting every single year because. There's no, there's, there isn't really any easy games. There's not really any teams you can kind of say, look, uh, maybe we got a wee three, six, nine points off of them, whatever it may be. It's, it's every game's hard. Um, for some reason, we seem to do better against the kind of full time teams. Uh, I think because of the way we kind of play the football and we're kind of trying to go at teams, we don't really like to sit back, uh, which is maybe something we should maybe look to do. And teams will maybe have taken us on the counter a few times. So a few games we've. Both Maybe had 16, 17 shots at goal, and we end up getting beat 1 0. Uh, we draw the game or whatever. And, but once we go back and you assess these games and you look at it, and you're saying, well, do you know what? We've actually played really well. Maybe so and so has missed a few chances. We've lost a poor goal. But overall, if you kind of look at the highlights, you're saying, right, we've, we've played very, very well. We've created, they've done what they wanted in the final third. Uh, they've done what they wanted, apart from maybe scoring the goals to, to kind of, we should be maybe coasting games 2 or 3 0. Um, cup games. Um, I think that I think even sorry the, the like, was this season we went eleven games in a row uh, without without defeat the start of the season as well. So it's it's great just to kind of keep on doing that. It's great for the fans as well. It's great for us. We just kind of want to try and aim to get as high as possible. Can we can we try and make the playoffs for the first time? Which would be brilliant. We've had a good couple of cup runs. Um, one of the things that's just not really been kind of spoken about yet is, is, is the youth side of things. We've managed to introduce a, a youth, I don't know if you're going to talk about that later on, but we've managed to introduce the youth setup. It was something that we'd, we'd brought in at uh, Albion Rovers, um, and it was something we felt was kind of needed. I know you kind of scrapped it, I can't remember who it was, somebody scrapped it a few years ago. But for us, it's probably kind of put the club back a wee bit. Uh, we've now got four guys, I think five guys at the start of the season there they, they made their debut. We've been managing to introduce them for maybe five, ten, fifteen minutes and give them a wee taste. At the same time, they've also been coming over to training. So they train over at, at the stadium. But if we kind of need any of these guys, if they've been playing very well on this, the Friday night, then we turn around and we'll kind of get them over to training and get them involved. So uh, there's a few that we, we, may, we may promote this year and in the full squad and again it's just off the back of it they're doing really well there's a few guys that are playing for Scotland under 18s with the schools um, 16, 17 year old so it's good that we've kind of got that because for us when we're long gone and whatever it may be good, bad and different it's, it'll, be, it'll be good that you've kind of left that kind of legacy there and you've kind of said do you know what they're kind of bringing through their own players now they've done great they've finished third fourth I think it was in the league and again, as a, as a good group of boys, that for the next two or three years, they will all be playing together. And at the same time, it gives ourselves or other managers in the future chances and opportunities to bring these guys over. And, and you hope now that there is that sort of pathway which has been kind of taken away. It's now kind of back in place. Um, the example we did with the boy Connor Shields, it came from the Albion Rovers. He ended up getting sold to Sunderland for 15 grand after we'd left. But at the same time, We'd noticed them, we'd got them, we got them in, we played them, and then the, six, the season when we left, he obviously played more games, did very well, Sunderland came in and bottom. So it's, it's things like that. that and again, the youth set up, I think you've had maybe Nathan Austin maybe coming through, I think you've had Brown maybe coming through as well, younger guys. So it's, 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 it's shown that it works. 
I mean, in the past, we've had players, um, I know you briefly managed Paul McManus, um, Stevie Ferguson, who was sold to Spurs. And I think that is great that you brought the youth set up back. It's, it's not something that we've actually got a question for later, but Paul should have mentioned that from what I've seen, in, in t- especially through East 5 TV and stuff, the young team look absolutely outstanding, great to watch, play very similar football to the first team, which I think is really, really important because that'll be easier for their integration into that. So definitely in terms of leaving a legacy, we've got to thank you as fans for bringing that back in, absolutely. While we're talking about signing um, young players, well, I'll just move on to some of the signings that you've made for the club. So I've picked out a few from a a lot of the good players that you've signed, but you mentioned Brett Long, who I think is one of the the best goalkeepers we've had for a long time, could easily play full-time and one of the best shot stoppers in the league. Scott Agnew, absolutely outstanding player, and Dunsmore, um, Anton Downs. I know you might not want to single anybody out, but is there anybody that you would consider being the best signing you've made for us? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't bottle it. <laughs> I think every, everyone kind of they've played their part in different ways. Obviously, Anton comes in um, pretty raw starting last season. We'd, we'd sort of we'd seen him. We'd had, heard good things about him. We got him in for pre-season. Did very well. We signed him in an amateur deal. Did well again. Improved. Got him a full-time deal. And then, but again, we'd improved his deal again because he, he did so well. We gave him another year and, and it upped his money. So, again, Anton came in and he's, he's been magnificent. Dungey came in. He was kind of right back, right wing back. And then, again, we, we felt we could get more out of him pushing him forward. And I think this season, he's, although sometimes he kind of moans he's a right back, but I think he scored maybe seven goals and maybe get the same amount of assists. So, I mean, Dungey is one. Anton's one another one. They're both young guys who have got opportunities for me that, if they, if they can be consistent and just continue what they're doing week in, week out, then they get the opportunity to go full-time. Aggie, again, comes in and he's, he's really enjoying his football. He's kind of spoke to myself and Tony. It's the best he's enjoyed it for a while, I think. A lot of managers probably maybe see him as a, a kind of luxury player, but for us, he can kind of do both. That's how he's been in there next to Davidson. Um, his ability on the ball, whether it's taking free kicks, corners, penalties, whether it's getting on the ball, switching the play, getting the ball through passes. And again, he's most goals this season, most uh, probably up there with the most assists. And I think uh, he got the three player of the year awards. So it's, I think he's great. He's great in the change room as well. He's got a big personality for a wee guy. Um, but again, he knows that, well, we know we can, we can trust him. Even Ryan Wallace coming in again, good experience. All he likes are moan. Higgy as well, so it's, there's loads. Brett as well, Brett's done great last year, he's done well this year, he had a bit of competition, he found himself at the team, he worked his way back in. So it's for me, it's, it's good competition, there's a good spirit amongst the squad, there's a good bunch of players, and it's, it's the guys that, that we, we want to get in who are wanting to still do well and improve. And the example is, is Higgy, I mean, after training, Higgy's 34, 35 now, Left foot, right foot, off the wall, five yards, ten yards, and he's still doing it. I remember there was one time one of the, the younger ones, I don't name them, was shouting, oh, come on, Higgy, you're not going to move back to full time, your legs are gone and stuff. And I just kind of turned out to him, I'm like, oh, do you know what? He goes, he's 10, 12 years older than you. He goes, see, if you maybe do that, you might have actually declared you are. You might get a move back full time. So it's just, I think sometimes young boys, oh, they're only joking in that. They, they probably don't realise how hard you need to work to kind of to make that step up. And for Higgy, it's just a natural thing. And, and I can relate to what Higgy did because I, I was the same when I was a young boy at Aberdeen. I would go under the stand. And again, you're going to take pearls and you're going to get sticked. The other boys are away. They're away down uh, the, the bookies at the time when you were allowed to get them. <laughs> they were like the bookies, horses or whatever it may be, away playing the PlayStation and, and myself. Again, I was never the most best player in the world, but again, what I, what I had, I made, made best use of, and again, I thought I did a sort of career. 
Now, definitely touching back on on um, on Dunsmore, um, great business by the club, and I think with a few of the players not just getting one year deals, getting two year deals, and keeping these guys at us. Obviously, every time I'm checking the, the Twitter feed, I'm I'm looking for the news as keeping Anton, but obviously we're, we're not daft as fans. Is going to be out of contract? There's going to be full time clubs looking at him. How do you rate our chances of keeping Anton? Yeah, I think it's fifty fifty to be honest. I think if he's going to stay part-time, then I think he'll definitely re-sign for us. If he goes full-time, then he goes with our best wishes. There is three or four teams after him. I spoke to his agent. I spoke to the player. Um, again, he really enjoys it here. So it's one of those things. It kind of happens. We've had it. Albion Rovers as well. Young Josh Mullen came for junior team. Um, did very well. Improved season upon season. And then Livingston came in for him. And we let him go in the January because they were off him a two-and-a-half-year deal full-time. Big Ross Stewart as well, big striker. And it's, it's one of those ones you're, you're kind of loathe to let these guys go because you feel you've done well and they've improved, they've played week in, week out for you. And, but at the same time, for us, it's, you're giving these guys the opportunity, you're giving them a platform to go and, go and play. And if they play and do well, then that's them for me, they're the pagey. And then if they get a bigger, better opportunity, then why not? Why not? And you go, go and take it and, and good luck to you. I think that as long as you're not a fickle fan, you get that these guys want to have the best careers as they possibly can. And as long as they don't move to the Rovers, I don't care where they go. If they get the chance to go full time, then it's fine. And Anton, if you're listening and you go to the Rovers, then you go in the bin along with the, uh, Barry Smith. So um, now, kudos to you for obviously keeping guys like Aggie and, um, and, and Aaron on two-year deals. I think that um, Dunsmore in terms of is a fan is definitely one of the favourites. You know, his, his face we pulled when he, he scored the penalty against Hearts, his goal against Dundee United. He just loses personality when he's playing. Um, so definitely a good job in keeping him. And go against Wraith as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I couldn't see that one for the tears in my eyes. I'm not even embarrassed <laughs> to say that. Um, again, he's the sort of person that if a, a full-time team comes in with him, because we've got that two-year contract, then we command a fee for him. So it's, it's great business by yourself in the club. So definitely take credit for that. Obviously, you've touched on Chris Higgins now. I mean, I've been watching his fight for a long time and the best centre-back that I've seen at us was um, Stephen Tweed, who I feel like um, Chris Higgins is really in that sort of mould. How did you manage to get him to, to convince him to drop down to play part-time? I know he sort of initially came to us on loan, but how did you manage to convince him to make that switch? I think it's. I think a lot of players once they come in and you see what we do training-wise and how we want to play the game, I think they kind of they enjoy it because we've had Ross Dunlop um, a lot of players that we've, we've played with and they've kind of come back and signed under us and they've, they've, they've come back. I mean, I think they enjoy it. Higgy obviously kind of knows me. I kind of played against Higgy. He played, Higgy did play my brother, but again, he enjoyed the training. He enjoyed what we were doing week in, week out. He's doing a, he was doing a bit of coaching with Hearts at the time as well, so it was t- kind of tying in quite well because they train at the Orium as well. But I mean, Higgy had other offers with, with more money, but... Again, you probably need to ask him. I think it's just the fact that it's a great dressing room, good bunch of boys. You can see, obviously, the quality there. That We are a good team and we can go and hopefully do stuff and improve again and get to the playoffs. And it's, I think it's one of these things that the players will be able to tell you yourself. But it's, it's one of those things that if you enjoy it, it's just his age as well now. It's just maybe it's not about the money. It's about enjoying your football and it feels he's getting that where he is. Something we've talked about over the, the last couple of weeks is the fact that there's going to be a lot more players available. A lot of full-time guys maybe won't be able to be full-time anymore. And like Paul McManus has talked about how you can make a good career away from the pitch and play part-time. 
and then you're going to make more money that way than as opposed to get to get like full-time wages. And do you feel there's going to be a lot more players available to you now that maybe would not have been available, say, a season ago? Yeah, I think so. It's either that or they're, cause they're going to be in a situation with the full-time teams that they're going to start offering less money. And I know that now the money in the championship with some guys, isn't it great? And if, you're, if you are kind of one of the, the top-end sort of part-time players, I mean, you can get a wage that's maybe about £100 less than a full-time wage. And it would be stupid for you not to kind of do that and then you go and get a job and you double up your money because they're now, as you said, the money's not kind of there just now. Um, unless you're kind of getting that jump up to the Premier and, or you're still a young boy, you're maybe living at home with your mum and dad because now it doesn't really make sense to go full-time and you're maybe getting four or five hundred pounds, you've got the you've got a missus, you've got a car, you've got a mortgage, so it's it's if you're only getting one job coming in and the one bit of money coming in, you're not making that much. Whereas you can maybe double that by if you are one of the better players and then you get yourself a job as well. I mean the the club and yourself, you've done so well, you've signed up so many of the squad from last year and you look around the leagues and some teams are letting all their players go. Some haven't decided who they're keeping yet. Some are just not making signings right now because of the uncertainty in finances. When you knew that the season was pretty much over, was that your number one priority to get as many guys signed up as possible right away? We'd already been speaking to these guys during the season. So it was just basically coming to the end of the season. You spoke to guys before the end of the season, saying like regards to next next year. And again, the guys we wanted to keep, we've managed to kind of keep the obviously Baron Big Anton and other guys again. They kind of go with our best wishes, but it was just one of those ones that we'd already spoke to these guys. We wanted to keep them. We know the quality. We know what we've got budget-wise. We kind of got to live with them. Our means, as we're saying earlier, there may be one or two young boys coming up for the for the youth team as well. So it's it's it's, it's looking good. We've got sixteen kind of full full players now. You've got. Young Bailey as well, he's just coming back for his, his knee injury. So, again, hopefully he gets a good pre-season behind him. We talked already about who we are going to be playing next season. And, I mean, th- this season that's just finished, everyone kind of agreed League One was the most competitive league. It was just, in the early days, I think the top eight teams all had a realistic chance of, of making the, the playoffs at the end of the year. Next year's obviously going to be tough as well because you've parted down. You've got Falkirk still there. You've got Cove coming up. But I think in the in the championship, you had the likes of our Broth and Aloha. They've shown that it doesn't matter if you're part-time. You can still, if you've got the right mentality and a good squad, you can compete with these teams. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, for us, that's the kind of, the teams are kind of aiming, aiming to try and be as good as, if not better. Uh, if we can kind of get to, to that level. Um, and again, that jump up, I mean, Aloha have now been there for, four or five years. I was at Allah when they kind of first they first did that. We kind of did it from League Two, won the League Two, got the playoffs the next league, we got promoted stay in the championship. So they've kind of been there or thereabouts. And I think when you're a part time team, the money that you can kind of offer players, you're kind of offering getting the best part time players because you can offer kind of the most money to all the kind of the better the better part time players just because you're in the championship, they've got better crowds, more money coming in, etc. etc. So uh, but no, it's, it's something for, for us to kind of aim for it. If we can kind of get to that level and you manage to get yourself up and then you manage to be able to compete in that, that's, that season when you're up there and you stay up, then it's, it's it's quite a big windfall for the club. And off the back of that, you've then got money for the club to kind of put in the, the budget, hopefully. <laughs> Aye. I mean, the, the uncertainty as well, not knowing who we're going to play, like how many divisions is going to be, are you going to be... In with teams that's not going to bring many fans to the game. We we now know all of this, but 
for me, looking on from afar, I woke up every morning here in Vancouver and I checked the Daily Record news to see, oh, what's happening with this? What's the latest on this? I mean, it just seemed a, a, a shambles, but the end result, looking at who's now in the division, if fans get back, like what crowds are going to bring to the game in terms of gate receipts and stuff like that, this seems, from a, a selfish East Fife point of view, to have been the best result. Yeah, I think so. I mean, in other words, there's talk of reconstruction and all this kind of stuff, but um, I think, obviously, it's, it's going to be a harder week. Don't get me wrong. If they've done the reconstruction and Partick and Falkirk went away, then you've probably got 10 teams in that league who are saying, you know what, if we go on a wee run here, we've maybe got a wee chance of doing something. Um, so it, it does make it harder. And you're right, you point touched on there. Cove have come up and Sunra have gone down. Again, you look at some of the players and the money Cove spending, you'd probably say they're a, a better addition. You'd get... Partick coming down, probably a bigger club than, than Wraith. So again, it's, it's probably another harder team in the division. So it's, 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 it's probably even more competitive this season than it was last season. And again, it, it just kind of shows that every season it's year on year. And I think as well with the, with the points total, we are talking about there, you had to get kind of 52 points to get in yet. I think it's started to kind of age up a wee bit now, um, the kind of average. So it's, 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 it's hard enough to try and get those 13, 14 points, but now you're kind of better teams. A lot of teams are maybe taking points off each other. So yeah, I think the good thing for us is, is the continuity of the squad. Um, we get something that we did at Albion Rovers as well. We kind of try to keep our best players. And if they couldn't get them tied up, then we kind of started looking early doors for replacements. You've got the guys, as you say, you don't judge them. They begrudge them the opportunity to go full time. And uh, Albion Rovers with guys on £125 a week who are then going and doubling their wages because they probably had their best season in part-time football and your hands are tied so when you go good luck um, you've deserved it so but I think the difference now is we've managed to kind of keep these guys um, and we've got 16 guys there so they're hoping you've got a wee, a wee edge ahead of everyone else so maybe having to get a whole new team and, and maybe take a, a month or two to get settled in Taking your, your East 5 managers hat off you, you've obviously played at the top level of the game in Scotland. You've been in, in all the divisions and through the ranks, player and, and coach. What would you like to see Scottish football look like reconstruction-wise? I mean, this this seemed like the ideal chance to look at things like how many divisions there were and bringing up some of the other teams. You've also got the chance, maybe a summer football to finally look at. Because just now you're watching games and the championship's going to go into, in England, it's going to go into July. So that could give people a taste of summer football. I've been spoiled now over here. We play all our games from like March to November and it's nice weather. When I've come back over to Scotland to watch games, I'm like, why the hell are we playing in the freezing cold? It, it makes no sense to me now. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. It's, I've always been kind of used to the, 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 the leagues of the 10, 10 teams in a league or whatever and then we'll gradually improve. I mean, I think the playoffs are a good thing. Uh, the, the playoff system that I don't agree with is the one to get yourself into the Premier League, which is an absolute joke. Um, again, the Premier teams, I mean, you've got to, the, the Championship teams got to play each other, and then they've got to play each other again, and then they've got to play the, the Premiership team. That, for me, it should just be the Premier League, like England, the teams kind of play against each other. So you've got four teams, two semi finals, two legs, and then the final. And even you could even have the final as a one leg, possibly. That's for me, maybe something that you do. Uh, just to make it a one-off game, the playoff final, or they still, I know obviously both teams get a wee bit of get receipt money for the home game, so maybe the chairman won't like be saying that. But again, if you had a one-off game, you might be just get everybody crammed in together. So, but I don't know. It's I'm kind of I'm kind of going to go whatever whatever the, whatever the kind of going. It's it's, it's not I'm not fussed to be honest. 
you've, we've talked about the players you've added already and already got signed up and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some new additions but how many pieces do you feel the team is away from having the squad that you want now you might not want to necessarily name actual positions because it might piss off some of the players that's already in that position if they if they take it to mean that you, you don't think they're strong enough but how many more pieces are you looking to add are, are there deals in the work we don't expect you to to name names today but is there is there pieces we can maybe look for coming out soon i think um the now for us if we can get another defender in a bit more competition and also if we can get another striker so whether depending on if Anton signs if Anton signs then that'll be kind of us um, if Anton doesn't then we'll kind of need another, another striker um, and then a defender so probably two defender and a, and a striker Obviously as a, new, as a fan we're excited for new signings and um, we've brought in Thomas Collins um, who starred against us in the, in the cup game but we'll, we'll not talk too much about that. What can you tell us about him? Was it that game that he caught your eye or, or did he sort of come through in the scouting system? No, it was before that. It was actually the game was before that when we were actually watching them, um, watching the highlights. I'd been seeing them live, Tony had been seeing them live. Um, and then other people kind of speaking about him as well. He's scored 19 goals. He's kind of striker, attacking midfielder. Um, and again, he's, he's not the tallest, but he's got a good, good spring. Very, very quick, uh, very strong. And again, he's scoring 19 goals. He knows he knows where the goal is. So I think there's still things he can improve on. And again, once he kind of gets into pre-season, gets working with the boys, but he's got a really good attitude as well. And he's probably one of these guys who's not no scared to kind of to speak up. And it's... From a, from a guy coming from maybe like the juniors and amateurs, etc., it's good to have that kind of quality. Um, so you kind of you kind of got to have that. For me, kind of kind of got in your shell. Um, so he's he's got an opportunity. He was at Queens Park as a young boy. He took a step down to kind of come back up again, and, he, and he's done exactly that. So it's, uh, I think the, the guy could have a good future if he gets in there, gets his chance. And there's no reason why he can't go on and improve and progress again. No, I agree with that. Obviously, from the very little that I've seen him, I thought I thought he was a, a top player, and that's again good business by the club. What can you tell us a bit about Kevin Smith? Obviously, what, what his role sort of is now. Sorry if you're listening, Kev, but you're, you're, you're no spring chicken anymore. He's still a great player, but he seems to be just be spattered with injury constantly. Are you keeping him more as a coach, or are you hoping that he's going to play a bit more? No, Kevin's still playing. Kevin's still here as a, as a player. He helped us out a few times in uh, last season with the uh, training and stuff, with the warm-ups. Maybe sometimes if Tony had been away watching a game or he was helping out with the 20s or if I couldn't make it to training, then Kevin would maybe help do the warm-up and stuff and things like that. But I think Kevin, Kevin had another operation there. Again, it's something that the fans won't know. His first operation that he had for the ankle two or three years ago now um, wasn't proper, wasn't right. Uh, and basically... I use of a, a better term, the, the guy with the arse here. Um, so, it's come back to the same person. He suggested uh, doing the same procedure, going in through keyhole, which means you don't get to see what the problem was. But this time, it's got a second opinion from another guy that we kind of knew. Uh, one of the other guys that had worked with, I think it was Higgy actually, maybe had worked with him. And the guy says, well, better to open up the kind of ankle to have a look to see what's going on. And, and sure enough, he opened it up. Um, and again, there was, there was a problem there that, had he just got it opened up three years before because he was always he was kind of playing through the pain for us and again the fans don't see that they don't see him trying to work through training they don't they don't see him doing his wee bit doing his extra to try and get himself fit but um, he's now he's now kind of fully fit and it's just a case of him getting his body because he's been kind of two or three years stop start it's now his body kind of getting used to it maybe this layoff will kind of help 
and again, hopefully he's, he's not going to enjoy himself too much and he's been keeping himself fit for coming back. But you know, primarily for us, he's still a player. And Kevin will tell you that as well. I think Kevin's only maybe 32, maybe coming up for 33 this season. So he's still got a few years in him. If we can kind of keep him injury-free um, and use him at the right times, then there's no reason why he can't go on and, and do well for us. Again, he's another one of those players that knows where the net is and his fans, we're desperate to keep him fit because I think that having him alongside like a Ryan Wallace or an Anton Dowds or whatever, somebody that could talk these boys through a game, um, you know, he's, he's a, a complete talisman for, a, uh, for us. I'm, I'm not um, putting Kev down. That's not how I wanted that to come across. It was more just along the lines of, I know that he was struggling with injury and we'd seen him on the sidelines a couple of times. So it was just more to see whether he was going to be more a coach or if he was going to be playing. So that's great. I want to talk to you a bit about Nathan Austin. Now, obviously, there's there was the rumours that he'd pretty much agreed to sign for us. Yeah. Um, that filtered down to us at fan levels. We were all excited, waiting for the press release. Literally, all we see then is a picture of him holding the Kelty Hearts scarf. Can you, can you shed any light on what happened there? It's just one of these things. Uh, I think they were giving them a very, very good deal. And on top of that, they were kind of helping out with their job-wise. So... We'd obviously went and kind of put a very, very good offer towards him. He'd been speaking to myself, we'd been speaking to the chairman, I ended up kind of letting them speak to the chairman so that they could kind of talk terms and stuff. Uh, we felt we'd agreed a deal, we probably had agreed a deal, um, then obviously Kelby's probably coming in at the last minute. Um, and I mean, I know it was, there was Forfer after him, there was other teams who I, I, I'd spoke to managers and they were kind of in the same boat as me that they felt they had got it over the line and then obviously they, they see that the, the guilty one but no, at the end of the day the guy's got to do what's best for him and best for his family of course we're all kind of a wee bit upset and a bit annoyed at the time but at the same time um, he's he, he needs to look after himself and if he is getting good money elsewhere and he is getting the, the guarantee of the job and all these kind of things then, then, then brilliant but um, it's just one of these things. It's, just, it's not the first time it will happen. It will be the last. Yeah. So we're obviously in a bit of a weird time in football and in in, in in the world, but in, in especially in football. So I've got a question from Andy and Isla English. So given that the schools can return with no social distancing in August, do you think that we could expect the crowds to return to Bayview and the players to get back into full contact training by October? I think so, because you're, you're talking four months away. So yeah. it's three, three and a half months, four months. So... We've been kind of through four months of up here and down there again with the, with the virus and the lockdown. We've been kind of up to the, the worst, the peak of it, and now we're kind of coming out of it. So I think over the next kind of three months, unless you've got like a, the old second wave that everyone keeps talking about, and I think we should be okay. But then and at the same time, our, our crowds are average maybe five, six hundred, six fifty, and depending on who you're playing. And I think you would still be able to get that into the stadium. So I think if people have been sensible, I don't know how it's going to work for fans coming through the gate. I don't know if there's a temperature thing or, or whatever. I've heard all these kind of rumours and stuff. But it's, I think you're talking three and a half months down the line. So I think we'll be okay by then, to be honest. I'd hope so. I, th- I think the thing that worries me is obviously when you're hearing about the, the clubs are meant to be sort of routinely giving their players COVID checks and how do we finance that as a club? I'm hoping that that's just absolutely nonsense because that, you know that's just not sustainable for clubs like ourselves or you know the Breakins in this world. I think it's something that they've, they've spoke about, but that's what the that the money the fifty grand for that guy James Anderson that he's put in towards all the clubs that was meant to be going towards that I mean there was talk of it's maybe two and a half grand a, a week for, for clubs to do that now the way they were saying if we had to start tomorrow we would need these two tests a week 
Now, we have part-time training, uh, an hour and a half on a Tuesday, an hour and a half on a Thursday, so why we need to do two tests a week, when we do the tests, where we do the tests, how we get about getting the results for the tests, I don't know. Um, and that's all the things that they're kind of speaking about. There, there was a meeting the other day as well in regards to uh, when the season would start back. If it was going to be August, it would be the full the full season. If it was going to be October, which it looks like it might be, it was going to be three quarters of a season. If it was January, it would be half a season. And then there was talk of mothball, which is for me is absolutely ridiculous because teams should be able to play. We are more than capable of playing and, and going by it. If, for me, personally, if teams are turning around and saying they can't play, then well, let's, let's bring up teams that can play. Uh, Marcel's Partick, Falkirk, um, Airdrie, Montrose, all with kind of big squads, uh, again, Coves, teams like this. So there's a lot of teams there that are more than capable of playing. Uh, for me, for teams to turn around and say that they can't play, again, you, you need to be kind of severe circumstances. If there was a second wave and everything got to that situation and you had to do X, Y and Z, then, then possibly, but I, I think we've well, got it under control. Germany's playing along there fine. England are fine, other countries, Spain, Italy, so everyone seems to be going yeah. back to, to that. I mean, they're doing these tests twice a week, they're in full time every other day, so I can understand why they get two tests. For me, I don't know, obviously it's a, it just seems to be a football thing. You've got police going to work and interacting with, with, with bystanders every day, they don't do tests at any time a week. Fire brigades, they're the same, you've got... Tesco, Asda, whatever it may be. So all these people, I don't see them all lining up having to do tests before they can go to their work. I know they're saying there's the lack of contact or whatever you want to call it, but it's it's just one of these things. They're in, they're in contact with, with people kind of 24-7 whenever they're at work. Your guys are training each other and you're only allowed to come to training if you're fine, if you've got no coughs, sneezes, as long as any of your families, if anybody's ill and you've got to tell us straight away and you're not allowed in. So again, it's, it's a bit of common sense. We hope that, but let's be honest, common sense and Scottish football aren't two things that generally go hand in hand, mm. mate. So, <laughs> no, right, right, no, no. <laughs> no, I mean, as a fan, it's beyond frustrating because you're looking at, like, for example, I've been watching the Premier League now, it's back on and stuff, and we're like, if we just had that little bit of patience, we could have finished the league, and I genuinely believe we'd have hit the playoffs, I really, really do, and, and where that would have taken us. I've been to watch us against Falkirk who I thought every time that I'd seen us play Falkirk we played them off the park every time that we played the Rovers we played really really well against them so there's there's no reason it's certainly for me that we shouldn't have finished that but that's that's a subject for another day so <laughs> I was just going to say like a lot though depends on how the UK as a whole handles this because like over here in North America Canada's handling it really well but the US is an absolute nightmare and I think there's seven teams in MLS now that's had players testing positive. And just this week, there's been a couple of teams that's had multiple players test positive because they've been out and about in the areas that have opened up way too quickly. But if they weren't doing the testing, then this they wouldn't have known that this was going to be the case. So it, it's a bit... It's a tough situation. And I, I, I don't really think there's any easy way around it. That's That's the problem. Yes, I, I, I don't. I, I don't understand the two tests a week. I mean, I think if you're saying yeah. there's one test a week, then, then fair enough. I would, I would kind of go with that. But and I know there's there's the the, the, the argument that or oh, some some people don't show it. And you can be there, but that's the same. You could say the same. With somebody's working at Asda or Tesco. Well, they're in working in there. They could have it, and it's all it takes is for that kind of one person. But yeah, I, I don't think we can kind of live in fear. I think Scotland's. Thing daily rate there is it two people died the other day or four people or whatever it was and 
obviously the numbers are down. We want to keep it down. And obviously the, the main thing with the, the whole virus is that everyone is kind of safe and <laughs> we're, we're not in a position where anybody's bringing it back to their family. That's the last thing you want to do. But right. it's just, just I don't think there's any rights or wrongs. No, definitely. Going to bring you back to your career now, Dan. Obviously, I don't think any East Fife fan would hold it against you for, for ha- having that ambition to be a full-time manager. Obviously, we, we know that you um, went for the Air United job. Um, was that a job that they sort of approached you for, or did you throw your hat in the ring? I threw my hat in the ring just because I felt at the, t- at the time they're top of the championship. Um, I want to go full-time. They're, they're, a, they're a big club. Um, so for me, it was, it was an opportunity to, to get, take that step back. Um, I got an interview for the for the job as well, um, and again, obviously they went with Mark Kerr. I think they had, they had five five people, but obviously they, they thingied from within. So it's just it's one of these things. Is same as the players, they want to try and get back full time. I'm looking to kind of get back full time. The only way that's going to happen is if I'm doing well for East Fife, and obviously the last few seasons we've been doing well. So my name's kind of came up and, and cropped up. And I think that's deservedly so. Um, and again, we don't want to see you go, but equally, when you've done so well for us, we, we expect that obviously clubs are going to come knocking on the door. Throwing your hat in the ring for the Dundee United job? Nah, I mean, I've not, I've not done that. It's Again, it's, I think there'll be enough sort of full-time guys there looking at that job um, rather than myself. I mean, for me to jump for be here to the Premier would be good, but I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> Shy kids get no sweets, darling. You've got to get your name in the ring. <laughs> didn't ask, you didn't get. But on the on a serious side, don't apply for that because we want to keep you at the fight. <laughs> when you look at at what you are as a coach and where you are just now, who's kind of influenced you as a coach? Has there been managers that you've played under that's really had a, a big impact on you, or have you kind of taken a little bit from every manager that you've played under? Yeah, I would say that. I would say I've taken a wee bit of, of everything, and even going back to. When I started as a player manager, we had Sandy Clarkin and then uh, we had Billy Starkin as well. At the same time, Tony was was, was working alongside and, and kind of helping out. So probably two years learned off of them. Um, two different types of character. Sandy's very black and white, and it's yeah, you've done well, you've done not so well. <laughs> Billy's probably a wee bit more philosophical, and uh, he'll be a bit more nicer with the guys. Um, but again, Sandy's way for me was was the way I, I was kind of was the way I was kind of brought up. So that's what I was kind of used to as a youth team player. But at the same time, I think there's there's now that way that if you speak to certain players that way, then the, the, maybe the dummy comes out the pram, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, but no, I, I think for me, I think I'm a very good man manager. Uh, I speak to the guys. If the guys are left out of the team, I let them know why. They don't always agree, <laughs> but at the same time, um, I'll be honest with them and tell them why. Um, again, in the past, some guys have not been happy with it and they've kind of wanted to leave. And for me, I will only be honest with them because it's, it's not about me, it's not about the players, it's about the players and the team. So uh, if the team's winning, then, then great. Um, we've had guys coming in and asking you, even the Albion Rovers, we'd, we'd gone 12 games in a row, Albion Rovers uh, without defeat. One of the guys came in and he'd said to me about uh, playing centre midfield. And he's like, I, I think I should be playing and I think I'm better than this guy and I think I'm better than that guy. And I'm like, right. Well, yeah, and he just kind of sat there. Hey, well, hey, well, I feel I should be in the team. I said, When was the last time we got beat? And he's like, I don't know, but I feel that. I said, Well, yeah, you're, you're probably our best centre mid. This is Albion Rovers. And he, 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 I don't think he was expecting me to turn around and say, Well, yeah, I'm our best centre mid. But these two guys in the middle of the park have played. We've won 10, at that point, it was 10 games in a row. I said, So you tell me if I had to bring you out the team and you're 10 games in a row, I go, and You're doing fine. The team's doing fine. They're working well as a unit. I said, Actually, look, 
come here, you, you, I'm going to leave you this week. You'd be like, ah, what are you talking about? We're, we're running, we're unbeaten. I go, so, it's, <laughs> so he, he never enjoyed that. But he, I don't think he was expecting the fact that, obviously, I'm saying him. So for me, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're the most experienced player on the team, the youngest player on the team, the highest paid, the lowest paid. If you're doing well and the team's doing well, then, again, there's no reason for me to, to, to change it. There'll be times when... I remember last season, not that season, the season before, um, and it was it was Cody and Anton, and we'd won, I think there were six games, and the two of them had, had done very well, and I think they were, they were unbeaten or whatever, and then we were like, right, did we change it, and we were bringing in Kevin and Young Curry, um, and we brought in Nato, so again, I pulled Anton, I pulled Cody, and, and Anton's a big guy, laughable, likeable big guy, Cody, just a bit of a jack of lad, and I've turned around to him. And I'm like, right, guys, and he's come. They're like, oh, what is it, Gaffer? This is kind of on the pitch before the game. And I've just kind of pulled him maybe 10 yards away from the boys. He goes, right, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to leave you in the bench today, the two of you. And I'm like, good game, Gaffer. <laughs> and I was like, that. no, I'm serious. He goes, we're just going to freshen up. He goes, we're going to go with Kev to hold up. We're going to go for Curry to get in behind his pace and stuff. All right. And then the two of them just kind of, I says, look, these have been great. I says, we're just changing it. So, a big decision I, I kind of made, but we ended up winning 4-0. Cave scored one, Curry scored two, and the two of them were on the bench, and I, turned, I heard them turn around each other like that. Oh, no. That's a <laughs> beep for next week. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, it's just, again, you're, you're, making, you're making big decisions, and again, it's, it's there we go, the guys that have kept on doing well. But they've had six, five or six really good games, and it was maybe 65, 70 minutes at the time, then they brought the two other strikers on, and we were kind of battering teams and doing very well. So it was just a wee change. But uh, I think for me, just I, I take a bit of a bit of everything, um, for its drills and things like that. For drills, even for instance, free kicks, set pieces, I'm watching the games, whether it's in Germany and, and England now, and looking at the free kicks and stuff to see, do you know what, pause it, and then if it's something that I maybe look to do as well, even throw-ins, wee things like that. So it's just different ways to get on the ball, different ways to try and, outfox your opponent. How hard did you find making the transition from, from player to manager and like going from a player, I'm not saying you had an ego, but all players have egos they think they should be playing, but how how do you manage that? Did you find it quite an easy adjustment to be able to manage it all? Yeah, I think the fact that I'd gone for, for full-time to part-time, so I played part-time with Alan and, and that my transition of going from full-time to part-time was I was kind of starting to do the coaching. So I was kind of still playing with, with Aloha. I was still as a captain and all that for the three seasons I was there. And then at the same time, we also I was doing the community stuff. So I was kind of learning my trade from the coaching side of the point of view. But they put me through my B license. So it was kind of easy because I'd been part... I felt it easier because I'd been part-time then. Obviously, when I left, I was still playing. So the fact I had somebody's experience with Sandy Clark made it a lot easier because he probably took most of the training and I probably learnt a lot from that first season. And the first, I think it was the first two or three weeks I had to kind of deal with it myself and Tony came along as well. And Sandy was at the World Cup in Brazil at the time. He'd already agreed to go and he was away with his missus and I think he was doing a bit of BBC stuff, uh, punditry. So I kind of had to learn fast. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm confident in my own ability and it's, it's just one of those things. It's a wee bit awkward at times. The first couple of times we were maybe trying to do a team talk <laughs> and it was, uh, I ended up having a bit of a porky pig moment and the boys, the boys were playing <laughs> and, and it was, it was, it was a boy, he was chappy, he was playing, he was playing off the front and I'm like, right, chappy, I want you, and next minute it was just like a total stutter, the mouth's frozen, I'm like, oh no, my mind's gone blank and next minute one of the players are like, Spirit of Gaffer. So the whole the whole change room erupted. Everybody was pissing themselves laughing. Uh, and again, I was like, oh no, I've made an arse of this here. 
But I stuck to it. 10, 20 seconds later, I managed to see what I did. And then we actually went on and had the best, well, it was 4-1 or 5-1 one, one, one. So it was one of the best performances we had of the season. But then I spoke to Sandy after it. Uh, I said, Sandy, and I was made an answer to that. He's like, he goes, damn, you were brilliant. What do you mean? He says, you forgot what you wanted to say. The voice had joke and laugh about it. You got your composer. 20 seconds later, you said what you had to say. And then you got on with it. He says, He'd worked with other guys who had not done when he was assistant and other guys were managers that had they done a team talk for about a season or two and, and he just kind of dealt with all that. He says, to go back and do that, obviously it's your first season. Because you're sitting there and it's like 11 guys here, they're all playing, they're buzzing and then you get eight or nine they're calling you under the sun because you've, you've left them out and you've brought them. So I think the transition was made easier by having him and having Billy because I was still playing. At the same time, I was still taking notes on what was Sandy doing for training, what was Billy doing for training. I was taking part in training as well as a player, so at the same time, I could tell whether the players are enjoying it or not. But I think, I mean, that's 20, 25 years now for me that we've been in football, so I kind of know myself what guys enjoy and what they don't. And at the same time, there is some times when you're doing maybe shaping or certain things that you don't enjoy, but you're doing it for a reason. Aye, and you have to be relatable and and a hard taskmaster at the same time. So it's it's trying to find that balance. And as you said, you've had a big playing career. We'll roll the clock back a little bit and have a, a quick look at that just now. I, I read an interesting article this morning. I mean, when you were getting you in the show, I was just doing a little bit of research, and I read a, a, an article on an Aberdeen uh, website uh, with you and your brother just talking about the, the scout that came along and discovered you and didn't know that we were both brothers at, at the game, but just like both of you. Was that the moment that you knew you had what it took to be a pro or did you always kind of know from an early age that, that this is what you wanted to do and this is what you could do? I think I, I think I knew from an early age that, I mean, I, I've always played football. For me, the, probably the difference now, for, for me growing up now to kids growing up now is, is kind of late in day. I had my brother there with me as well, so although he was sort of younger, he's a year and a half younger than me, but we still managed to, to kind of play. So I would go to school in the morning, come back at lunchtime, be playing football. So you you basically run in, I'd always remember, soup, sandwiches, back out, playing football 30, 40 minutes, back in, get my bag, go to school, because it was only like five minutes for the house. Come back after school, straight in, football, everyone, because there was a lot of kids in the scheme and stuff as well. So you're all out playing football, brilliant, till you get shouted in for your dinner, back out again. And that was that was us all the way through, like, as, as kids. Then when it gets to a bit serious, we were sort of training with the team. So you're 10-year-old, we were kind of training with Aberdeen on a Monday night. Tuesday night would be training with Rangers. Wednesday, you may have a night off. Thursday, you had your boys club. Friday, you had a night off. Saturday morning, you trained with a school team. Saturday afternoon, you played with your boys club. And then sometimes on a Sunday, the local team, you'd maybe play as a ringer, just if they were struggling for players, because again, it was at the top of the state. So if they were like, oh, go, go see Dan and Derry, what a game, but a couple of players shot. And that was, I mean, I look back and the, the amount of football that I played, and, and that's probably, I seen a thing that Gordon Stratton wrote the other day about he never learned from coaches, he learned from training and playing. And I, I can definitely relate to that because for me, I would be out, my brother wasn't out, and you never had any of the, the, the guys around about you to play with. I would be out myself, and we had, we had the grass park, we had um, the garages, we had the, the wall at the end of the building. So it was, it was always kind of left foot, right foot, trying to curl it. And one of the, one of the favourites that everybody loved. And the no ball game sign, so you try and hit that, and that would be you practicing bang, bang, bang. And that was, and it's again, it's just kids that, that was there's nothing thought of that, but nowadays there's not really that there for kids to do. And I don't think it would be looked on as, as being pretty cool to go and, to go and do that now. Well, there's there's Dan, I look at him as he's playing a ball, doing this and doing that. Whereas back then it was 
if you're playing with a ball, somebody come along, oh, he's a kick. And so you'd end up having a game with this, with this guy. And that, that was, for me, what we kind of learned. Um, but that was, again, now, comparing that to now, it's, it's night and day. Out here in Vancouver, Barry Robson uh, had a brief stint here with, with the Whitecaps. And I remember we were speaking to him one day and he was saying about how he learned the game was by kicking a ball against a wall and just kicking it back. And, and the, the people here thought, what what the hell is this? That sounds ridiculous. And I'm like nodding, understanding exactly what he's meaning. But it, it's something that seems a, a little bit lost now. And I mean, you always had your brother as well, which was obviously a, a good help. And then you were together at Aberdeen, you were together at Dunfermline. And although there's always been a lot of brothers in, in Scottish football, it's kind of rare that they're, they're on the same team, and especially for so long. In the early days particularly, I guess that really helped you kind of settle in, being away from the family and everything. Yeah, the first year, I was up the year before Derek. So the very first year we went to Aberdeen, it was me and a guy called Alan Bryson. We'd, we were in the, the digs together. And again, that season, you know, we got youth team, we played in juniors, we got, I got into the reserves. And I had a really good, a good, good season because we'd started off, it was... I think it scored something like 12 goals in 26 games for the youth team. I went to a junior team called Crombie. We scored 10 goals, 15 games, and then get called back and they started playing the reserves. So that the first season, for me, I was probably miles ahead of where I thought. I thought that maybe by the kind of second season, you're getting into playing for the reserves and stuff. And I'd kind of jumped past the juniors, still playing in the youth team, captain of the youth team, and then playing in the reserves become the end of the season. The second season, I then played with the reserves and the pre-season tours and then jumped into the first team. So... It was a, I was pretty kind of fast-tracked from when I left school at 16 to make my debut when I was 17. When we had Gary Naismith on the, the last show, he was talking about the injuries that's kind of plagued his career. And I, I know like in the early days you had a really serious knee injury and you needed three operations. Did you have any concerns at that time that that might be the end of your career before it, it either really got started? Yeah, um, you have you have the moments when you're yourself because as guys know when you're full time, you're in training gym every day. You'll go in probably before the guys before training. They'll come in and have a joke and laugh. Some guys will be getting strappings and give you a wee bit of stick. You'll get a bit of treatment off the physio, and then they'll go away. You're dealing with the physio. You're going to the gym and you're maybe going to walk or a jog or whatever it may be. And it's a lonely time. And the longer the longer it went on for me, it was like trying to get to the bottom of this and just kept on getting a pain in my knee and. Every time you thought you were back, you'd do straight line running, and when it come to the turning, they would get the pain again. So it was like I kind of, I think it was tied up with the meniscus, I think, and then it was or the cartilage, and then it was kind of two clean up ops kind of after that, and the clean up ops are just basically going in, flushing it out, and seeing what's what's there. But they finally get to the bottom of it. But there is times when you're sitting, in, I'll be honest, you're sitting in tears. You're like, am I finished here? I've, I think it was nineteen, twenty at the time. We've had like two good seasons and. You're like, ah, I can't get back to this. And what am I going to do? All I know is football. And then, well, luckily enough, we managed to, to get to the bottom of it. And then, obviously, went on and did all right. So, taking you on to your career, over 380 appearances, 18 goals, 721 caps, um, and, a, and a great career, obviously, when you look at Aberdeen, Dunfermline. So, when you're looking back at your playing career, what are the sort of highlights when you look back on it now? I think, uh, just obviously make my debut at 17 and then after about seven or eight games I scored in the, in the UEFA Cup. Um, again, that was, that was great. <laughs> it was just surreal. You're kind of something you used to watch a year before and then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're left school and you're scoring the UEFA Cup and you're playing for Aberdeen. It's, it's amazing. Um, got made captain of Aberdeen as well and I was kind of 21, 22. 
Um, again, even just the fact that I've played my brother through boys' club, through school team, then it was like youth team, then it was reserves, then it was into the first team. And that, that's been amazing as well. Once we went to confirm and played in cup finals together as well. And it was, it was brilliant things like that. It's, it's just, you know, playing in cup finals at Aberdeen. Again, it was, I loved it, loved the time, loved the place, loved the people, lots of friends. We had a really good, good squad of players that were all kind of coming through. A lot of young guys that went on to do very well. And then obviously we, the move to Dunfermline came round and obviously Derek and Len, again the two of us kind of went and again the, the five years I had at Dunfermline was, was amazing. We got to kind of four cup finals, we got to uh, Europe twice, played in Europe twice with Dunfermline, we got the highest ever finish in the league, we finished in fourth the very first season. Um, so it was, it, was a, it was a great time, um, probably the one sort of down point probably would have been the, the relegation but Again, all the other times, I mean, the, quid, the, the thing I hated about the cup finals, every time we got a cup final, it was Celtic. We get Celtic in two Scottish cup finals and a league cup final, and then the season we got relegated, we got to the, the Challenge Cup final, and again, we, we, we kind of get, we got beaten that. But no, I mean, I, I love my time at Dunfermline, I loved working under the two Jimmies as well, um, just for the one season before they went back up to Aberdeen. So it was, it was a great time all round. I think a lot of my f- my friends who are uh, Pars fans will be happy to hear that you had a, a, a good time when you were there. Was there ever any interest, obviously, like you broke into the team at such a young age, was there any sort of grapevine that, you know, there was a chance I moved to England or, you know, to a Rangers or to a Celtic or to, to maybe take that step up? Uh, no, there was, there wasn't really, uh, no, there, was, there was bits of chat, but nothing, nothing kind of major, nothing kind of concrete. There was one agent one time was maybe going to, we spoke about India, getting a move to India, but again, that never ever, ever happened. That was kind of later on in my career. Uh, I think after the, the second Scottish Cup final, uh, I think it was 2007, there was maybe like a few League One teams in England kind of floating about, but again, nothing kind of concrete. Um, nothing concrete there. But no, I, mean, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I made loads of friends and I had a great time. And it's that way it's when you're, you're playing football, you're wanting to be kind of playing. And most of the time when I was fit, I managed to play. Just probably near the end of the career when you've got a few injuries and it kind of holds you back. So I uh, had a few problems with my calves. And that was kind of frustrating because that was maybe a good kind of two, two and a half years again when I couldn't get to the bottom of the problem. And uh, you kind of, it is one of those ones that you are before I was, when I was kind of leaving full time to go part time. Uh, one of the things was probably because it was less stress on the body because um, I was getting, always getting problems with my calves. So, because we weren't training every day and maybe just training part-time, it would have helped. And, and it did help because it kind of prolonged my play, playing career for kind of three years at Alloa. had a great time, great group of boys again. Uh, if we lead two all the way to the Championship. And then we're still in contact now, Mark. It was funny, Mark, talking to you a, a podcast the other day and he was talking about the group and it was at like 2012. So it was a WhatsApp group for 2012 and we're still all the same boys. We're still on it. So it's... It's great, we still keep in touch and they're just all kind of bouncing about the divisions. Mark was a, a good player at us and I was actually quite surprised when he left because um, I thought that he, he, was, he was really, really steady for us. He kind of take a penalty all the time, but you know, he was, he was a good player. But I'm not saying that time. I've actually got his podcast saved to listen to, so I'll definitely be getting on with that. So we've had some, some pretty wild um, stories on the podcast. I don't know if you listened to Paul McManus's one when he was talking about... Uh, the infamous now uh, fingers up arses moment they had in Peterhead. What's sort of funny and funniest or bizarre things that you've seen at a dressing room, either as a player or as a coach? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. There's obviously some things you can't you can't see. <laughs> you could always choose to admit some names. 
there was there was there was a thing in Aberdeen. Uh, it was actually Dean Windass and, and John Ingalls, and I think Dino was very very shy guy. Dean was not um, and he was very kind of full of himself, and he was obviously too, saying too much at the weekend with a few drinks in him. And uh, I don't know what he's talking about John Ingalls or whatever. He must have had a bad game or whatever he said. And then John Ingalls came in and I remember him sitting in the, the, the physio bench and I'm like, all right, John Ingalls called Zeus, all right, Zeus, what's happening, big man? <laughs> and I'm just sitting there getting treatment and then John Ingalls says, this is what's happening. Bang, bang, bang. And Dino just slid off the bed onto the floor. <laughs> so whatever <laughs> Dino had said, it got back to him. Um, and, and obviously that, that was the end of that. <laughs> so Dino apologised. <laughs> We got on the end. There was, um, was another time as well we'd started putting it was like wee cups of water above the door it was when Abbey Skogdale was there so obviously you're trying to catch the players out the boys are come back to lunch Skogdale would never really come in the dressing room so we're all sitting there <laughs> next minute the door's kind of half open and Skogdale big bucket of water right in his head he's like fuck ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、
we're going to move on to your, your best 11s. Um, and I know that you, you, you touched on that, you, you'd done your due diligence. So I'm excited to hear. So we'll start with your best 11 you've played with. Played with, I'll probably get Al McGregor. He was on loan at Dunfermline. Kevin McNaughton, right back at Aberdeen. Uh, probably Big Russell Anderson. And they'll maybe go for Scott Wilson, centre half. Uh, Nipper at left back, Peter Dunfermline. Probably go for, for a bit. Yeah. Ian Jess and the boy Roberto Gasconti, Maglena Park. On the left, I'm going to chuck in my brother. <laughs> he, he, can get a wee, he can get a wee mention in there on the left hand side. Up front, probably the two best strikers. I mean, I had Dodgy and I had Dino, Duncan Shearer, but I'm probably I'm going to go for Crow and Brew just because they were absolutely unbelievable together. And they were great. Right side of midfield, maybe even like Barry Nicholson. Uh, for, for uh, he's again great great player box to box chipped in the goals good technique worked very hard as well perhaps that's at 11-4 so I mean there's some good players in that and, and obviously I'd actually forgotten you'd played with Dean Windass I, I totally went out of my mind that he was at Aberdeen I'm surprised he didn't make your team but obviously when you look at like the, the, the attacking quality that was in your team um, I could get that I mean Stevie Crawford, I mean, we got him at the tail end of his career at East Fife, but I mean, he scored some absolute peaches for us, so yeah, I could get that. So, I'm excited to hear this one. Best 11 against? Uh, 11 against? I've played against Man United a couple of times in testimonials, so I don't know if you're allowed to chuck in a couple of them. Well, funny that, because again, when I was doing my research, um, I'd seen that you'd played, um, did you play with Tam McManus in the game that he laid off Wayne Rooney? Uh, aye, aye. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I'm a Man United fan, so feel free to name as many of them as you want. Right, so up front, I'll go for Ronald De Boer and Larson. Yeah, that's a pretty good two names so far. Brian Loudrop on the left. Beckham on the right. <laughs> With Gaza and Paul Scholes in the middle. And defensively, we'll go Arthur Newman on the left. Yeah, McNamara on the right, and probably Baldy and Amaruso centre halves, and the goalkeeper. It could actually be Griggsy again, or because it's going against them, maybe change and just go maybe Kloss, Stefan Kloss. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, some absolutely world class players in that. Who was the toughest person you played against? Obviously, you're playing in, in midfield, so you're going to be in some battles. Who did you come up against that you went? Oh my god. <laughs> The one I mean, for me was, was probably Gaza because I was I was only seventeen at the time when I played against him, and it was it was the first time I played at Ibrox. We ended up drawing two each, so it was it was unbelievable. We scored a last minute equaliser, and uh, Dodgy had scored it. I was right behind him, and I was raging because if Dodgy had missed it, I was tapping it in. <laughs> <And that's laughs> this, this wee guy bombing for Canberra's lying, I'm like, oh, I could just see it in the lights, and Dodgy just came in ahead of me and nicked it. But probably him, and then one of the reasons why he gets a lot of stick at things, but he couldn't get the ball off him. He was solid, but he actually. Talked me through the game. He's like, "Well done, wee man," and I'm thinking, "Is he speaking to me?" And he was Gary Nesmith. I probably spoke about him as well, but <clears throat> he turned around and he was honestly, he couldn't. He goes, "Keep taking the ball. Always take the ball. Even if you make a mistake, make an asset. Keep on looking for the ball." And I'm like, "Okay, right. Cheers, cheers." Like a sweet guy, like cheers. And then and he's like, "He goes because if you do, then I've got." He's actually saying to me, "I've got a decision to make." Because if I go with you, I'm leaving a big space for the defender to play into the gap. He goes, but if I don't go with you, you can get on it and get turned at me. 
<laughs> I never had that. I've never obviously you usually play against guys and like that. See you, you'd get it, yeah. We world class guy who three years ago or something or three years before it played in the World Cup semi final and he's actually speaking to me and saying, Well done, well done, son, blah blah blah. So probably him. That's amazing. And funny, you know, Gary did touch on a bit about um Gascoigne and I've heard a few people talk about him in terms of, you want to know what, he does get a bit of a bad reputation, but a, a really top guy. So, St- Stefan Kloss, you, you said that name, and like, I've admitted in a, a previous episode that when I grew up, um, I, I had a, a big love for Rangers, um, and I forgot what an absolute colossus he was, but mm. saying you're a Canvas Langboy, does that mean that you were a, a Rangers fan growing up as well then? Well, I was, but just because my dad. My dad was a, a season ticket holder. But it's a funny thing. I always, it's a wee thing I always, my mates are always joking about this with my mates. I've actually probably played more times at Ibrox on the pitch than I actually have been to support Rangers, and that's just because I've always, I've always been playing on a Saturday. So I've, uh, I've probably been to more midweek matches than I have actually Saturday matches. So it's, it's just one of the things. And don't get me wrong, when I went to Aberdeen, you're kind of a fan of the teams you're with, and I'll still look out for Aberdeen and things like that. So it's. It's just one of the things. Thanks so much. And yeah, thanks so much for coming in at really short notice as well. Really appreciated it. And, but we really enjoyed chatting to you. Thanks, Darren. Thanks very much, Darren. Thanks, guys. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, Thank you. Bye. Cheers. So there you have it, our, our interview with Darren Young. I don't know about yourself, Michael, but I really, really enjoyed that. Um, just kind of felt like I was sitting having a chat with a mate shooting the SH1T about football. So what were your thoughts on the interview? Some good interesting insight there from Darren as to how he's five for running just now and just his whole career. He's had a, a good career and he's he's one of those exciting young coaches in Scottish football. Y- you have to feel that the future is very bright for him. We're really lucky to to have him at East Fife. The last couple of appointments that we've had at East Fife managerial-wise, I mean, they've been absolutely excellent appointments, no complaints whatsoever about it. Darren, I mean, you talked in the interview there that he's been with the club for three seasons. I think in the past, I mean, you, you said that's quite unusual. I think that's something from the past that was unusual, but I think more and more now managers are getting given time or they're keen to try and build something and see see a job through. And if Darren can get his promotion, with, with the way that the, the, the state of the game's going to be and there's not going to be a lot of money kind of kicking about in, in football, he might be happy to, to stay at East Fife as, say, a championship club as opposed to going maybe full-time with another championship club and, and like battling with them and having to build from afresh. Of course, it, it's a brand new challenge then. But I mean, we're really lucky to have him and I'm excited to see what he can do. He's going to get really tested. The last two seasons have been so tough in League One and you, you thought, well, nothing's going to get tougher than this season. With what lies in store, obviously, depending on what happens, 2020-21 is going to be the toughest season of all and it's really going to test Darren as a manager. I think so, but equally, I think that he's a, a guy that's up for that test, you know, and... You know, one thing I will praise Dan for is his complete honesty. You know, you can't blame the guy. His chance for full-time football is inevitable, but hopefully we're in the position by the time that that chap comes at his door that we can keep a hold of him 
However, you know, I've, I've said it several times, whether it be this podcast or, or previous ones, that I would never, ever say to somebody that we don't want them to have their chance to go upstairs. But obviously he touched on the fact that he had his interview at Air and, and he does harbour that ambition to go full time. So um, I really, really thoroughly enjoyed that chat. And Darren, if you are listening to this back, thanks so much for, for coming in and talking to us. And like over the course of the season, once things get underway, we hope to, to have Darren on regularly on the show, maybe once a month, just give us a quick 10, 15 minute update as to, to what's happening at, at Bayview. So, I mean, if there's anything that you want to, to hear us ask Darren about as well, like shoot us a message on Twitter at podcast underscore EF or send us an email at our new email account, glorydaysofgold at gmail.com. Obviously, the, the other thing that I want to touch on briefly is is the kind of sick feeling that I have in the pit of my stomach right now. The thought that it looks like, you know, Anton's 50-50. Um, I think Dan's maybe perhaps being slightly generous with mm-hmm. those odds. You know, the, I, I know there's a, a good few clubs looking at Anton and one of the rumours that I've heard is Rafe. I hope to God that that's not true. Anton... Don't do it. You're better than that, mate. We would expect to see you go to a decent club, although I know that obviously the Rovers are full-time. But look, have a look at what they did to Chris Duggan. He came back. So if you're going to go somewhere, stay the hell away from them. It's a tough decision. I mean, when when Darren said 50-50, I, was, I raised my eyebrows at that because I, I'm i resigned to the fact that he's going to go. I'd, I'd say 80-20 that he's going to move on. But it's, it all boils down to the money aspect again and who wants to to be splashing out on, on full-time contracts. So, I mean, 50-50 sounded actually promising to me. I, I, you said it gave you a sick to the stomach. It's like, I was like optimistic with hearing that. I was like, oh, that's not, actually not bad. But I, I don't think he wanted to depress us the first time we chatted him on the show. I think that was more of what it was. No, I think there was definitely elements of that. And, you know, thanks to Darren for trying his best to, to soften that blow. Um, but, you know, I think that if, if we are going to lose Anton you know, Dan's touched on it there that we do need goals and there's going to be a lot of full-timers that are kicking about, you know, Paul McManus touched on that, Gary touched on it, you know, we're in actually a pretty good position that we could maybe be speaking to some of these full-time boys that are, are dropping down saying, look, get yourself a job and we'll top you up by a good wage. So, fingers crossed. Although I did see that uh, I was talking to my dad. Um, hello, dad, if you're listening, since I mentioned my father in the last week and he gave me jip for that. Um, so, I, I'd actually know, we were talking about um, John Gemmell from Queen's Park and uh, I think that Liam Anderson referred to him as the hammer thrower um, for a long time when he played against us and I was thinking about players that you just love to hate I love Spider Ramsey that's going back a bit Gemmo yeah he is one of those guys that you love to hate but he's also one of those guys that if he came to your club you'd love him whilst he was at your club and The problem is, every club wants a goal scorer. Every club would love to have a prolific goal scorer. And there's a few dotting around the, the lower leagues. We've had some over the years at, at East Fife. They're going to be in big demand. And it all really depends as to who can maybe come up with the money to, to kind of tempt these guys. And I, I don't know how much money we've got left in the budget if we've been signing all these guys two new deals. Yet you've got Collins coming in as well unproven maybe at this level but he is a proven goal scorer at other levels and I I am a firm believer that if you can score at one level it's not beyond the realms of possibility that you can keep it going look at Jamie Vardy I mean he's an ideal example as to to what a guy that 
you might sign somebody and think, oh, why are we signing him? He's not going to do it at this level. And then he, he, he just goes and, and, and does it. Yeah, I think that all depends on the confidence of the player and it depends on, you know, the the, the ability of the players around them. At East Fife, we're lucky that we've got the players around and an interesting project for any potential player to come to us as well. Mm. So I, I think that, you know, we've got to be positive as East Fife fans and, and look at, you know, the future being bright. What I don't want is I don't want an unproven loanee through the system um, just by yeah. clubs looking to get some some wages off the books. You know, don't get me wrong, for every good loanee we've had, we've had a bad one. I've, I've touched again on that in previous, in previous shows, but I would much rather have a, a striker playing for us that maybe was a bit more hardened at, at our level. Yeah, it, it's a tough one because... You could you could get a young guy like Tam McManus. We got him from Hibs. No one really knew who he was. And then he went and he, he performed well for us. And there's going to be a lot of clubs that are looking to, to, as you say, get money off the books. But it's also something that Gary Naismith touched on as well, is how many clubs are actually even going to be in a fortunate position to keep that amount of youngsters around. So they could just be guys on, on the scrap heap as well. Yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting times. And until you get a firm date as to when the lower leagues are coming back and exactly that everything's sorted out with all the relegation stuff and hearts and this all, I don't think a lot of clubs will be keen on like pulling the trigger too early. And any club that wants to take the gamble and pull that trigger could get themselves a bargain. Yeah, um, or all we need to hope is that maybe if we are going to get a lone player, Gary's buddy and Robbie Nielsen's just got the job at heart, so maybe there'll be some some players that he could send our way. Um, I, I would hope that he would maybe favour us in terms of some of the other clubs that would come up. I, actually, let's let's talk a, about that because I like obviously I'm a little bit remote, so I'm not hearing all the the latest gossip and stuff. But when I woke up and I saw, I like I know he's a Hearts man. But when I saw that he's taken a team, in theory, to promotion to the Premier, and now he's decided to stay in the league and walk away from that team and all the hard work and everything that he's built up, to go to a team that's in an absolute shambles at, at the moment, I mean, I I was stunned. I mean, was that something that people were expecting? I don't know. It depends. Put it this way, if, if you'd played your career at East Fife, and enjoyed some of your best spells in your career at East Fife. You got your big chance at a move down south. You went to your move down south, and then the opportunity to come back to your the club that you cared about the most. Would you turn it down, no matter what division they were in? Oh no, but I mean, it's so. I mean, you're saying by that then that Nielsen is clearly a, a heart supporter, and he's a heart supporter more than he is a, a Dundee United manager, which. I get that, and if I was a Hearts fan, I would love that. I'd be like, my God, this guy, he cut him and he bleeds maroon, which he kind of would do anyway, but <laughs> it, it just it strikes me as nuts. And just the, the what he had going for him at Dundee United, although I have seen that there's murmurs as well that Dundee United maybe aren't in the best state financially as well, and 
if they went to get promoted, they could be in serious, serious trouble. Well, I think they got an American investor, didn't they? If I remember right, um, I'm not sure. About I'm, that. sure I'm sure that Dundee United owners are American. But look, look here, let's try and flip that on the head. Say the Robbie Nielsen doesn't give a toss about you know about Hearts, right? I would bet that his budget at Hearts would be more than what he'd get at Dundee United, and I bet he's mm. on more money as well. Aye. Especially if they end up getting the eight million, because then it's like they're yeah. definitely on more money. Yeah, so I mean, you've got to probably look at that. He might get some nice bonuses if he gets them promoted. He's probably just had his promotion bonus from Dundee United. So you've got to look at that. Does he feel that he's going to have taken Dundee United as far as he could take them? Are Hearts a bigger club? Technically, yes. So you've got to look at it from all angles. The, the old romantic in me hopes that it was because he, he cared for the club, but the cynic in me says he's probably more money and a better budget. I just can't wait until the first Hearts-Dundee United game, like if they get each other in the cup or whatever, or even if they end up in the same league or something. The, oh, I, what do you do in a situation like that? You've got a manager that's got your promotion after a couple of seasons of heartbreak of just being stuck in, in the second tier. But then he's he's left you right away and he's come back with a team that you're playing. Do you boo him? I probably would. Yeah. Look at Barry Smith. You know, he did well with us, effed off to the Rovers. When he came back and he was on the sideline, you better boo him and called him a Judas. So I think that's the nature of the game. There's no loyalty. Look at what's his name, Ray McKinnon. You know, the way that he was bouncing about clubs and, and hoarding himself out, if you want to look for a better expression. So you've got that. But the thing about all this Robbie Nielsen monstrosity is that Craig Levine's then been touted as the, the favourite for the Dundee Red job. And I'm like, how though? <laughs> I mean, he was such a shambles the last spell at Hearts that it's like, why would you then... Uh, I, I mean, that would just be baffling. The guy that got Hearts in the position that they're in initially, I know Stendhal took over and everything, but it's like, Levine's the guy that got him in that initial mess. Why would you then have faith in him not doing the same in, at Dundee United and keeping United up? Yeah, bit mental. But did you see the, um, the other name that was linked with it? And I'll, and I'll see, obviously, I know oh. that you're a bit far removed. So I'm going to give you five guesses and I'll give you some clues to, right. to lead you to who that okay. may be. So the first one is Premier League goalkeeper. And I'm talking about English Premier League goalkeeper. Current or former? No, no, f- former. So he's, oh. he's declared interest in the Dundee United job. Jim Layton. No. Skate. <laughs> so he's German. What? Ah, <laughs> oh, I can't think of any names. Okay, I'll, I'll give you another clue. Um, he's played in a Champions League final and got sent off. I see, if you ask me something about English non-league football, I'd have a better chance of getting it, or someone round about AFC Wimbledon's level. I can't think of any German goalkeepers apart from Oliver Kahn. Right. Biggest and final clue then. Played for Arsenal. Oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name, but he's interested in getting the job. <laughs> yes, uh, Jens Lehmann has That's come him. out. I knew with an L, I couldn't think what it was. <laughs> See, when you said Jim Layton, I was like, how probably close was that? <laughs> but yeah, Jens Lehmann's come out and declared his interest in the job, what which to me, I was a bit like... <laughs> That's, That's random. Yeah. 
Well, it was like when Clarence Seedorf uh, said that he was interested in the Ross County job. So there you go. That's um, your, your pointless fact of the week, Michael. But, but then who would have thought East Fife would have had Steve Archibald as their boss? Guy that's played sure. with Spurs and Barcelona and Scotland and, and the Hall of Fame. And it's like, I guess weird things happen. But then for every person like that, there's a Claude Anelka at Wraith Rovers. Sir Claude, you'll always have my heart. Wherever you are, Claude. We salute you, we love you, and you did a great job at the Rovers, don't let anybody oh. tell you otherwise. Here's a here's a, a fun fact, there's a video up on on one of AFTN's YouTube channels, I don't know if it's the Scottish one or the, the Canadian one, where Anelka was managing a team, this is before Whitecaps went to MLS, Anelka was managing a team somewhere in America, and they came to play the Whitecaps in Vancouver. So I got all the Whitecaps fans to sing up, cheer up Claude Anelka, and call him a sad Rovers bastard. Well, we've got us doing that, <laughs> and he must have been sitting in the in the dugout going, what, what, what the hell is going on? I do not understand this. He was French, not German, Mike. Come on. But my accents are a little bit... I, 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 won't, I won't go through my hideous accents. I'm a man of many voices, but they all kind of sound the same. Fair enough. Right, let's talk about English football then. It's back, um, you know, as a... Yay, um, I know that um, you're only interested in sort of League 2 Southern, whereas obviously I've admitted before in the show I've, I've got a Man United interest. Delighted to see a 3-0 win for Man United last night and a, a Marshall hat-trick, which made me happy. However, at the time of recording this, Chelsea are currently beating Manchester City 2-1 in the 96th minute. So if you hear oh, a loud scream, my, can call that. My, wife's, my wife's team Liverpool have just won the league. So if any of our listeners have a spare room and want to adopt a fat guy for going office, um, just give him a shout on glorydaysagold at gmail.com. <laughs> much we're, we're, we're making history though. We're recording a podcast as Liverpool end all the years of hurt. 30. 30 years, 1990. But I, I mean, I... I do have a, an interest in the Premiership in that I'm a West Ham fan. I'm in a strange position in that I'm a West Ham fan and I have been since the mid-70s. My mum can't tell me why, but I kind of want them to get relegated, part of me, because of Karen Brady wanting to scrap the the leagues and just have no promotion and relegation. And I just thought that was absolute talk of self-interest to the umpteenth degree. I thought that was terrible. So if West Ham go down... It would be sad and I wouldn't shed a tear. And I, in later years, I've been really into AFC Wimbledon. I've been a member of their Supporters Trust for umpteen years now, going back to the 2000s. They, AFC Wimbledon were good and they supported our Down with Brown campaign back in the day to, to get Derek Brown out of Bayview. And I've always had a, a soft spot for them before that. And then that just cemented it. And I, and I joined their Supporters Trust about 2006-ish or something. When when Wimbledon played West Ham, I wondered who would I want to win, and that happened in the cup two seasons ago, and it was it was Wimbledon. I was delighted for Wimbledon, so I think my allegiances have switched. I've been enjoying watching it. I know over there you've got the kind of strange situation now where every single game is being shown live, which is something I'm used to here because we show every single Premiership game live. You can you can sit and watch it on demand. You can watch it live. We've got the championship games as well, where you pretty much can watch most of those as well. Do, do you think this is going to spoil people and make them think, you know what, I just want to watch football on TV. I don't actually want to get back two matches. Um, I can only speak on, obviously on behalf of myself, but you know, if East Fife are playing on the TV every Saturday, I would much rather be down 
watching it live, whether it be the atmosphere at um, Bayview or, you know, trying to get to away games, which obviously I, I can't do an awful lot working in retail, but I don't think so. I would hope not would be the answer to that. Um, and I think that obviously if you look at Premier League attendances, at, you know, 60,000, 50,000, whatever, it's a, you, you wouldn't be thinking that a large number of those don't want to get back to the ground, particularly when a lot of people will make a day of it, you know, they'll go to the pub, they'll come back, they'll go in front of it with their mates if they've won, they'll have a curry, whatever, whatever, whatever. So no, I don't think that that's going to be an issue. The financial aspect is maybe the only thing because, I mean, we've seen it before with East Fife and it's, it's different circumstances, obviously, but people, once they find different things to spend money on or they get used to not going, that's then a habit that they get used to. And this is different in that maybe folk won't have as as much money, especially for the Premier teams, to go and spend however many hundreds of pounds it is to, to get a season ticket. I mean, the games obviously won't be continued to, to be shown in full once the fans are, are allowed to get back in. But it's an interesting situation. But you've got all the new developments with it as well, the, the fake crowd noise that's getting pumped in. We've talked about that before, but this is the first of me really seeing it because I haven't been watching Bundesliga or something. I've just seen little clips. Sitting watching it, what, what, do you, what have you made of it? I like it because I think that if I was just listening to the players on the pitch, similar to what we hear at Bayview, it would be completely alien watching it on the TV. And I think that having the background noise is great. The only thing I'm not so sure of is obviously like when you the, the miss a chance, you hear another, ooh, a bit just like a couple second blade. I would probably yeah. just take that out. Yeah, yeah. Just, the, the, the delays driving me nuts. Uh, it's a little bit corny. I would probably just have you know the the fans singing in the background or whatever, rather than that sort of thing. I think I would pass on that. I, like I, I've I've been watching games with it and without it because a lot of the championship games that are being shown over here at least don't have the the canned noise, so you're hearing it from the pitch. I actually prefer just hearing the players shouting and the managers shouting and just stuff like that. I watched the, the League 2 playoffs, which if anyone hasn't seen them and you've got a chance somehow to, to see it on, on demand or whatever, they were amazing. But that was just the atmosphere from the players and the benches and I, I just I just really loved that and it, it made me think more of like being back at Bayview because that is what I'm used to. And I know it's different when you're watching something on TV because you kind of get used to, to hearing stuff. You've got some... In, in, in Germany, for example, you've got animated fans in the stand, but not with the crowd noise. So you're seeing fans jumping, but you're not hearing the noise that they're making. And to me, that's weirder. And I know some clubs like Man City have the, the screen or their fans behind the goal, like jumping about... But that's not tying in with the noise either. Things like that I find weird. Or if you're Leeds United and you have Osama Bin Laden on the sidelines. Oh, did they? <laughs> did you not see that? No, did someone get oh, no. a cardboard cutout? <laughs> yeah, um, so like fans were able to pay for a cutout and somebody yeah. picked Osama Bin Laden. Leeds have had to come out and apologise for it. <laughs> oh, that is tremendous. Oh, you know, if you're going to... I've just thought... Do it, do it well. If Cowden Beath do that... I'll get a Colin Cowden and the whole Cowden family ones drawn up and we can have them in the stand. I'm liking this. Yeah, I think that there's definitely some potential there. And if Rovers do it, I think that we should have a whip round and get Sir Claude 
Um, and he's picture of him up there. I'm up for oh, that would be fantastic, yeah. I was speaking to the, the Whitecaps boss about this because we don't know, MLS is coming back in July and we don't know yet what their broadcast is going to be like, but the assumption is it's going to be canned noise. But he, as a coach, swears so much. And I asked him, if there's not crowd noise, are you going to have to like watch your language when you're on the sideline? And we had a pre-season tournament down in Portland and only when Portland were playing were fans there in any numbers. So for most of it, it was like playing in an empty stadium and you just heard him shouting and swearing. And he said when he got home, his daughter had said, Daddy, you're bad. I heard you shout, shout swear words three times on the broadcast. <laughs> yeah, you've got obviously got that part to look into it a little bit as well, don't you? Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens. I'm not. I'm neither for nor against. I think that if mm. they stopped it, I don't know that I would miss it. Chances are the missus is talking over it anyway. Aye. One last thing I just want to say about English football, and I don't know how much play that's this has had over over there, but I I've been following the story of Barrow this season because Barrow dropped out of the football league in 1972, and after years they finally regained their place. And they'd finished third bottom of the the third division. I think it might have been even Division 4. Things have changed so much I can't remember. But basically the bottom tier of English football. And back in the day, the bottom three or four sides had to apply to be re-elected back into the Football League. So they finished third bottom. The two teams that finished underneath them, they got accepted back in, but they got voted out. And they lost their place by finishing third bottom in, in the league. Because they felt the team that was going to come in, which was Hereford, had much better financial backing and were, would be a better club than Barrow. So they never officially dropped out of the Football League in the current way that you would do a relegation. So they went through money troubles, obviously, because you've lost all that and non-league football. So after all that time, they finally were top of the National League. And then it looked like they were going to get denied promotion because they weren't going to relegate a team. And it's like, that would have been the most heartbreaking thing in all of this. But thankfully, common sense has prevailed and they've got their place in League Two next season. It's just, it's a crazy story that I've followed for a couple of years now. I like to see these teams that from when I was a little boy, I remember seeing their names in, in league tables and then they just disappeared without a trace and then they've come back. So that's a nice feel-good story. Yeah, definitely. And um, I've got a few friends in the sort of Manchester area um, that I know have been listening um, that were Berry fans. Oh, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, you've got to feel for teams like Berry um, and, and hopefully we could see them back in the league soon. Yeah. But definitely. I, mean, I think I think Barrow could be a, another team that I look out for now. That was a really interesting anecdote. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's, it's just was a crazy story I, I would have been like fuming for them I mean I've no real interest in them apart from just I thought it was terrible how they dropped out but Bury's another one that I mean it's so sad and you you have to think about the, the English non-league as well it, it's something that since I since I left Scotland I've got a lot more interested in it and whenever I've been over I've always gone down to London and taken in some non-league games and stuff and there's some teams there that spent big like Kelty Hart style big to get promotion because they wanted to get into the National League to then have a shot again to the Football League and they've been denied promotion now. So they've spent all this money and they could now go bankrupt. And it's tough on that. We saw it with Gretna. If you overspend, what can happen to you? We were nearly in that predicament ourselves. 
But yeah, football is just in such a, a weird place just now. Definitely. Um, and to be honest, the, the sooner we can stop talking about league reconstruction and COVID-19 and the effects on football, the better. We're sorry if we're boring you a bit, but it's yeah. still the hot topic. Yeah, um, well, well, let's move on from it because I'm sure there'll be some changes fast-paced into next week's show. Let, let's have a bit of fun now and let's find out if Paul McManus fancies a chocolate digestive. If you're sitting at home and you decide to have a hot beverage, would you go for a tea, a coffee or something else? Something else. What would that be? Oh, a hot chocolate. All right. Are, are you a biscuit fan? Uh, chocolate bickies, aye. I like chocolate biscuits. What's your favourite biscuit? Caramel wafers. And do you dunk? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Hi, I'm Gary Naismith, and you're listening to Glory Days of Gold. That was Paul McManus, and I'm telling us whether he likes a chocolate digestive, so there we go. Mike, I'm just going to hand over to you for the Twitter poll that we put out, and it got a pretty good response. Yeah, I put out a, a quick Twitter poll. It really interested me because I, I was asking how comfortable people would feel to actually going back to a football match in person. And I ran that poll over here in Canada as well, and they could not have been polar opposite results. That's what's very fascinating to me. 44.7% said that as soon as fans can be let in, they will be there in the stands on the terrace. 36.8% said they would wait to see if it's been proven safe first, so send a few guinea pigs in, see if they come down with the virus or not. 13.2% said they would only return if there was guaranteed to be social distancing. And only 5.3% said not until there's a vaccine, which was surprising to me because when I ran that poll over here, the vast majority, was like over 60%, said they would not be back at football until there was a vaccine. And this is in Canada where it's not actually been too bad, especially out here in BC where I am, where folk are obviously, as you said, Lee, earlier, just wanting to get back at it, just wanting to get back at football. And they, they feel that there would not be a risk. If, if it's deemed to be opened, there's not going to be a risk there. Yeah, um, to be honest, I was quite as surprised with the results as you are, but I think people are fed up now and they need normality. And I think that the reason for the difference in results between obviously Scotland and Canada is you've said before in the past that the football scene is a sort of leisure activity you know mm. like oh my team got beaten there whereas with us you know we'd live and die by the sword that is our football team and if you yep. go to the football on Saturday you get beat you're raging um, so I think that you know there'll be more of that you know is Fife is life you know we've said it before or is a way of life for us so we're, we're itching to get that normality back. That's actually, that's a very good point. It, it, it's part of us. Like, our football team is as much a part of us as our family is because we think of it as a family. And it's just, it's so embedded in us from an early age, those of us that go to games. And the, football means so much to us here. I, I When I first saw the results, I thought it was possibly down to folk in, in Scotland maybe not taking the virus as seriously or the threat of, of what could happen from it. I, I've got to admit, me personally... 
I probably wouldn't want to be in big crowds unless there was social distancing for sure. Maybe a vaccine. But I mean, we're we're talking like the Whitecaps get over 20,000 fans. So it's obviously very different to, to Bayview. The more people you're around, the more chance you've got of somebody in that crowd having having the virus. So that there's that aspect of it as well. But I think that's encouraging though. And it's obviously a, a small sample size. But if that was to hold up, I think that's encouraging for Scottish football that fans are keen to get back. They're not going to be like, well, you know what? I, I'm not going back till there's a vaccine. Because if, if the bulk of fans said that and weren't going in and paying their money, the financial aspect's just going to be absolutely massive. There's no recovering from that, really. No, and it's like, you know, how can clubs just now be selling season tickets when we don't know how many games they're going to get to and all that sort of stuff. So without going too much back into COVID-19 and, and going back into um, the sort of financial impacts of it, I think that... <sighs> I just want to get back to a game, Michael. I really, really do. Um, and, you know, if you could be in a supermarket, if you could be in all these sort of places where, you know, there's there's lots of people, if you've got the correct, you know, PPE there, if we're wearing masks or told that if you're coming to the game, you need to have a, a mask and gloves on. You know, if they said, right, okay, we're going to let in 500 people to be of you, but instead of the ticket prices being say 15 quid, they're going to be 18 pound because we're going to put a mask on every seat. You know, that is, is maybe something that we could say, right, okay, it's going to be socially distanced, you know, there's going to be, you know, because we've got enough room at Bayview, if there's 500 fans, you could probably have a, a good number of seats in between each other, etc. Um, so th- there is ways and means around it, but I just, for the life of me, I just don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know. I mean, it's at times like this that you kind of appreciate the likes of Albion Rovers and Cowden Beath because they've been socially distancing their fans for years. <laughs> oh, that's only because of the smell of each other yeah that's true I, I I saw a tweet the other day and I haven't really seen anything following up on this but it was from the, the record and they were saying that they had heard that fans could be let in to some games by the end of July which seems to go against everything I've read that Nicola Sturgeon and her team have said so I don't know if they got the wrong end of the stick or if they're hearing things or if they're just jumping the gun but did you hear anything about that, or was it just some rogue tweet that I saw? Let's be honest, if the Daily Record are reporting, if they told me the sky was blue outside, I would go and check. Um, I wouldn't take too much stock into that. You know, I've, I've been listening to quite a lot of, of Nicola Sturgeon's um, conferences. I know that they're hoping to be able to have professional sport back or, um, or contact sport back by the end of July. However, you know, they're still saying in terms of Nicola Sturgeon's roadmap, you know, you, you won't be able to have a wedding with, you know, 100 guests by the end of phase four, which I believe will be September time. So I can't mm. see how that would be the case. If, you know, my wife's a wedding photographer, so there's a bit of interest in that for me. You know, if she can't go and photograph a wedding that there's 100 people at, how can you go and have 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, etc. at a football stadium? Aye, that's, that's very true. Like, Scotland and, like, British Columbia... Are they've, they've followed very similar paths in that they're being very cautious. Like here, we're not allowing... We're about to move into phase three, which is allowing things like movie theatres and stuff to, to get opened up again, but you're not allowed gatherings of more than 50 people still. So, I mean, football and sports not coming back here anytime soon. But the grassroots game 
Like I think I spoke in an earlier show that I've got out and I've been watching some of the kind of local non-league amateur football. It looks like that's going to be back and no one goes to watch that. So I'll get to go and, and stand and, and watch games like that. But then folk are saying, well, if you're only allowed 50 people, you've got the squads, you've got the management. What if fans do turn up because they're just down to watch some football and they've not had uh, a chance to watch anything and then all of a sudden 100 people turn up? Because some of the teams do draw like crowds of around 100 because there's a team, for example, called Croatia SC. So a lot of Croatians go to watch them because it's like a link to home and stuff like that. It's, it's, I think like that and like having to wear masks at games, it's hard to police it. That's what the problem is. How do you spot one fan in a crowd that maybe not wearing a mask? Yeah, and then you've got the fact is if they're wearing a face covering, how safe is it? What could they get up to? Blah, 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 blah. So again, it's, for lack of a better expression, you're peeing in the wind if you're going to come up with a solution for that anytime soon um, or, or, a, or a suitable one. But I think we'll just need to wait and see. Um, I'll be cheering on my, my local team, Thornton Hibs, if, 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 if we're not allowed back into the stadiums anytime soon. Not unless uh, the Glory Days of Gold podcast takes off and make millions and I could buy a box at Bayview. But or shirt, shirt <laughs> sponsor. Know. Let's just think shirt sponsor, first of all, of East Fife. Yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll go for that. We'll take it in stages. Um, just talking a bit about, obviously, the sponsorship. Um, that was a, a nice little segue that you gave me there, Mike. But um, talking about the sponsorship, obviously, we're, we're, we're really, really keen to continue to raise the funds. Um, Mike and I have obviously put our, our hands in our pockets for mics and um, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, we're happy to continue to fund that for the, the short term um, our long term goal just now is for us to get aboard at Bayview so that obviously you know we these five fans we want to see the club getting something out of the back of this so what all funds for in the, the short term are going to be are going to be going towards us getting our board at Bayview. So we've so far raised just over £200, which has been absolutely amazing. We're looking to raise £400 by the start of the season so that we could get our board up. So if you are um, in a position um, that you can make a donation, you can do so. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've put up a couple of posts on social media. We have had our, our um, inbox pinging with people asking how they can support the podcast because they've enjoyed it and that's great um, so if you do want to do that um, you can email me at glorydaysofgold at gmail.com um, or just send a message to the Twitter page or the Facebook page um, so Twitter is podcast underscore EF Facebook just simply bang in your search by Glory Days of Gold um, I'm just going to say once again thank you to the anonymous donor for this week's episode with Darren Young um, who donated on behalf of the Leaving My Food Bank um, so just remember if you can get your pastas pasta sauces um, etc down to them to support them that would be great and as always thank you to KJK Installations and Glen Office for all your joinery needs and Five Pro Rest and Asylum a safe place to train Fantastic. That's pretty much it for this show, but we want to finish with our Wavelength section, which is, if you're a new listener, the section of our show where we play a song all about football. Could be by a band, could be by a football team, could be about footballers. The one thing that links them all is they are all about football. And for this week's song, we're going back to 1996, and it's a song about a player that actually has some East Fife connections, and Scotland, and Vancouver Whitecaps. He's the only player to date that has played for East Fife and Vancouver Whitecaps, and that is Willie Johnston, the 
famous ex-Rangers and Scotland player who a lot of folk will best remember from his shenanigans at the 1978 World Cup. So this is a, a song by Welsh band Flyscreen called My Phil Neil for your Willie Johnston. So I was fly screen there from 1996 with a song called My Phil Neil for Your Willie Johnston, all about panini stickers. And the reason I picked that this week, apart from the East Fife and Vancouver connections, is I just spent $121 on getting some panini stickers to complete my albums. And they arrived. They were sent from Italy to Germany to the UK to the US to Canada so if they don't have coronavirus on them, I don't know what will, but by those travels. So they arrived within a week, which was fantastic. And then I was putting them into my albums. And then I realised that my 2014 album is now one sticker short because I ordered sticker 163 instead of 165. Absolutely gutted. Ah, oh, nightmare. And how much did it cost you per sticker? 
it varies. The the more recent ones, they're forty five cents. It's all in Canadian because it was the Canadian store I ordered it from, even though they're coming from Italy. But the ones for the later ones go for like two dollars forty. I've got tons of panini stickers as well from like twenty fourteen onwards. If anyone is actually needing any to to finish their albums. Like, shoot us a, a message and I'll, I'll see if I can help you out because they're just sitting in a box here. Do, I mean, do you still co- collect panini stickers? Do you hang around the school swapping them with the little kids? Yeah, it's just you. I it's don't f- think that's something I would like to advocate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I've, funny, the last um, competition, um, which would have been what the World Cup two years ago, um, I bought the sticker book. My daughter was one and said to my wife that, you know, I bought it for her. And she just looked at me with absolute hatred in her eyes and went, you've literally went and wasted money um, on a sticker book and stickers and you're 29 years old, which I was at that time. And I was like, and your problem is. Um, and I continued to try and collect them until I realised that one day I spent my lunch break um, as a manager of a store putting stickers in a sticker album and gave myself a little look in the mirror and I shake and went, it's time to grow up, Lee. Judging by that, Michael, I think you might need to do that too. I think that we maybe need to have an intervention. I'll, I'll get in touch with Caitlin and I think that we maybe need to sit you down and have a, a heart-to-heart, mate. Tell your wife that you know a man in his 50s that also puts stickers on his album. I, I've got I've got the sticker albums from the 82 World Cup up to now and only one of them was complete because I'm always bad for then never getting the stickers. So I've made a conscious effort to try to try and, and get as many complete as possible. I'm really worried though I'm going to be bankrupt by the 2026 one because it's going to be 48 teams. So it's going to be like this thick uh, a sticker album book. So I think uh, I think I might need to take a mortgage out, which will be interesting because I'm only renting my house. But we'll see what they do. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got to think about it. If you get those completed, you've just got to hope that another fellow sad act like you has a bit more money and they're prepared to uh, buy it for a lot of cash. <laughs> I, well, I keep telling my wife it's an investment, so when I die, she can sell them. She'll probably just chuck them in the bin. That's the sad thing about it. Yeah, well, every time that um, we've done one of these, you've, you've worn a retro East Fife shirt, so I'm kind of hoping that as your fellow podcast host that she'll maybe ship them over to Scotland for me so that I can have them. Okay, we'll do that. For for anyone that is listening, obviously we like to do our visual stuff for those that's listening. I am wearing a 1990-91 New Olympic East Fife stripy top, sponsored by Andrew Forrester. I'll maybe take a screenshot and we'll, we'll tweet it out. But yeah, I think this might be my earliest kit, although I might have one of the Ricky Motors ones from the late 80s. I'm glad that we're at the end of the podcast now, though, because apart from absolutely roasting wearing this... It stinks because it's been in a box for God knows how long and I've never like had it out. So yeah, I can't wait to get this off. Well, on that note, that's been this week's episode of Glory Days of Gold. We hope you've enjoyed it. As per usual, we'll end by giving you our socials. So you can find us on podcast underscore EF on Twitter. Um, you can also find us on Glory Days of Gold on Facebook. Um, the EFTN website is now back up and running, so make sure you go and give it a check out. Um, I thoroughly looked, uh, enjoyed looking back at it the other day with all the pictures of the Fifers abroad, so don't be afraid to get them sent in to us as well if you manage to get abroad this year or even if you have any old ones. But my name's been Lee Gillis. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, it was it was really good to to get it back up and running, back online. It, it's had a good response since it's come back as well. Still very much a work in progress, and we've got a lot more stuff that's going to be going up in the site over the the next coming weeks, months, and a lot longer probably as well. But you can check it out at aftn.co.uk. 
can also give me a follow on Twitter at AFTN website. If you have any interest in football over in North America, Major League Soccer, you can check out AFTN's Canadian website at AFTN.ca and also check that out on Twitter at AFTN Canada. And I actually found uh, some old photos of you, Lee. Wonder where I should put them. Should I tweet them out from the AFTN account or should I tweet them out from the Glory Days of Gold account? Uh, um, um, hopefully neither. <laughs> we'll see. I, I've got and, one of... Uh, one of you presenting Stephen Nicholas with the AFTN Player of the Year Award, so that's a nice one. Yeah. I've got one of you giving me the finger down in Trimple or Morecambe. I don't know if you remember that trip. Oh, I was pretty drunk for the majority of that trip, so yep. Sadly, I don't have a photo of when you walked into a lamppost outside of East Stirling, because <laughs> that's always my lasting memory of you. Gave myself concussion, yep. Um, still remember that too. I tell you what, if if we get 50 new followers to Glory Days of Gold and AFTN website Twitters, I'll tweet out some embarrassing photos of of Lee. Great. Well, I was probably about half the weight then, so it'll be nice to see that. But I forgot actually about um, giving Stevie Nicholas his um, his award. Thanks very much for listening and won the five. Go into your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.